lines will be drawn. Sides will be chosen. Armageddon. An epic war. Between the kings of the earth at the end of the world. Where warriors stand on the front line, ready to fight for glory, for a dream, for what is theirs, to wage war to the bitter end, for gold, and when it's all over. Will anything remain? ever got an entrance at work where your boss has said uh i think he's here tom's here and then some music hits and you get get a little entrance no no, no i didn't think no nor me either sadly not nor, nor me i could well get on board with that and that would make my work quite different because i work in an office building and there are probably i don't know 150 200 people who who can the capacity of the building so yeah. from about eight o'clock in the morning through to about half ten it would just be constantly different bits of music kicking in. Yeah. And of course, some people would come come in and then someone would come in 10 seconds after them. So you'd get like 10 seconds of someone's entrance music and then maybe three minutes of the next person's because yeah. they'll follow them in. That'd be cracking. What a great way to start the day. Would that, it would. Would that, would that be amazing or infuriating if you're like, oh, someone's coming down to like, I don't know, Save Me by Queen. And you're like, oh, that's an absolute banger. And then someone comes into fucking, I don't know, some nonsense afterwards some ed sheeran or whatever and you'd get 10 seconds of save me and then you get the entire ed sheeran song because no one comes in afterwards that'd be awful you don't necessarily get it every morning like it could be the other way around the next day and not only that but you could change your entrance music every single day so you'd just be constantly like oh no, no, no. Well, it's my. This is my game. Where did that rule suddenly come from? <laughs> I don't know. You can't. You can't. Imagine that. Imagine if you imagine if you're having a Royal Rumble and all of a sudden, on comes Hulk Hogan's music. And it comes Valvinus. How are you going to react to that? Positively, I'd imagine. But still, still, you want to prepare yourself. You want to have more with big vowels coming in. You want to have. You want to get yourself properly revved up for that, don't you? You, you reckon you're not allowed to change your entrance music more than once a year. Fine. All right. But still, and not only that, but you could be like all the way, like all the time, judging people for their choice. That's the other, the yeah. great thing. So you'd want people to be coming into shit music, because then you'd be like, oh fucking hell, what's wrong with that person? It'd be great. What if there's also someone that you really liked? And, and you're like, oh, they're the same person. They come into a really shit song. You're like, oh, fuck's sake, I don't like you anymore. Or vice versa, someone that you find really annoying comes into a song that you really respect. And you're like, hey, Tom, Tom, it's all, it's all part of life's rich tapestry. It's all good. It's fine. Shit tapestry. 
Getting back to the important thing that came up in that, Val Venus come down to Hulk Hogan's theme song. Is is Val Venus singing <laughs> the theme song as well? How would that go, old man? <laughs> oh, your gun is crashing down. And it hurts inside. It's, it's like I when mean, he enters he someone. <laughs> I can't remember the rest of the words. You got to you've heard my pride. you've heard my pride. Oh no! I went Macho Man at the end. Yeah, I, no, you, went, you went a bit Vince as well. I thought yeah. it was. I thought it was Clint Eastwood. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Val Venus rhythmically, rhythmically masturbates to Hulk Hogan. He was like, or 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 rhythmically masturbates. I think. Yeah, he, he does that as well. He's a man of many talents. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Random Wrestling Review, the penultimate episode of 2021 and the last one before Christmas this year. Just incidentally, while I was writing this intro, I had my massive 200 song Christmas playlist on and what should come up, but one that easily makes it into the top five of all time. Any guesses as to what I might have been listening to? I am going to guess... Underneath the Tree by Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> Did you see my Twitter from earlier on? <laughs> no, no, but that's, that's one of my favourite Christmas songs. It's an absolute banger. That's exactly what it was. Underneath right, the Tree by guess, Kelly Clarkson. It. It, it was, I, and I actually put on my Twitter, I, every year I forget how much of a banger <laughs> Underneath the Tree is. It just comes in, it fucking kicks your door down, fucking smashes you over the face with a fucking Christmas wreath on it, that song. Because it is just the <laughs> ultimate. It is. It's amazing. So the, those voices you hear, they're not the ones in Randy Orton's head, but instead very much a reality. As first of all, we have old man Sam Carey, who last week found a kindred spirit in one King Kong Bundy, a man both bold and hairy all at the same time. Old man, how are you? Oh, good, thank you. It's good to good to get another mention of Bundamania. Mm-hmm. Not Harry Bunzamania, which is what his wife used to call him, by all accounts. <laughs> That's lovely. And also we have Tom Smith, who was alarmed last week that our listeners were unable to tell the difference between the impression he and old man did of the rambling, incoherent, rowdy Roddy Piper and his usual dulcet tones. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Tom Smith. I think, I think lady and gentleman probably is it's a bit <laughs> ambitious. I think imagining what our listenership is probably like. If we do have any women uh, listening, get in, t- get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you're a man. Or if you're somewhere in between, we're happy with it. Um, what was the question, Tinky? No, there was no question. I just welcomed you to the show. Ah, well, thank you very much. I was happy to be here. <laughs> I get an impression we might have another one of the episodes that we had last week, which was, uh, as I did the edit, edit for that show, um, I realised it was pretty messy. And also, uh, we recorded for nearly two hours, and I got about an hour and ten minutes out of it in the mm. end. So for those listeners, I'm a full-time student and work part-time and uh, I've been studying all day, so I've not spoken to another human being. So this is the first time I'm outwardly projecting my voice. And also Tom is going to struggle to outwardly project his voice because he is currently suffering from a cold. That's correct. Also eating an enormous amount of mini milks. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's, just, is it, it's just a lovely little, a lovely little image from the, uh, from the listener. Okay. Tom I don't even know what a mini milk is. No, I don't know what the fuck you're on about, mate. You don't know what a mini milk is? No. <laughs> It's um, it's a ice cream, but it's like a lollipop type thing. 
Oh, uh, those lads. Mini milk. Okay, well, I can tell already that it's going to be on me to carry today's episode. So uh, it's, always, it's always on you to carry me. Come on. Well, I, I, I wasn't going to be the one to say it. But anyway, Tom, um, Tom last week, I know, I know you're suffering from, from a cold now, but Tom, last week you did agree to ring around bakeries in the Connecticut region to find out where WWF ordered that gigantic baguette that Mr. Fuji mm. was holding at Saturday night's main event 14 um, and how much it costs. So how far did you get on this quest? Not very far. They're all engaged. Could get through to anyone. Sorry, I imagine a lot of people were phoning up with the same question. So, you know, <laughs> I couldn't get through to anyone. The chances of that still being open is quite low, I would suggest. I mean, it was what, 21 to 2, 3 years ago? So, it would have been about 30 years ago, wouldn't it? So, you're Come right, it's about, 30, it's about 33 years Come ago. Come on, right. Tinky, I'm bloody sick of carrying you. <sighs> Damn it. God, I've got a bad back <laughs> after carrying me for so long. Uh, so today we haven't even mentioned yet. We are going to be covering Armageddon 2008. Uh, so another Armageddon show, second, uh, not in a row, but second in December anyway. Um, and what were our expectations going in? Uh, let's start with Tom. My expectations were this was probably going to be okay. I looked at the main event, well, it kind of says it on the on the page of the WWE Network, and I saw it and I thought, oh, I've seen this. So I've actually watched this show before. In fact, I watched it when it happened. So I can remember the main event and, and what happened in the end of the main event, but I couldn't remember anything else. There was one bit I realized very shortly into this pay-per-view that I realized there's some dreadful commentary. It's one that I've referenced a few times. I don't know if I have done it on this podcast, um, but I was I thought it was going to be OK. I thought it was going to be all right, but I wasn't uh, I wasn't horrified. This this is just before we get into the list of, that I mentioned the other week, the list of people <laughs> that I can't bear to watch. So the majority of them aren't on this yet. So yeah, it was it was all right. I was I was thinking, yeah, go on then, I'll have a bit of this. Did you watch it at the time because you already knew we were going to WrestleMania 25, which was coming up in a few months after this? Very likely, very likely, I'd say. Because um, I remember I think I got a feeling you made. Did you watch it live? Did, or did either of you boys watch it live? I watched it around Craig Shaw's house. I can't remember. Yeah. I um, genuinely can't remember watching it live. Yeah, and and um, I can remember there was a couple of people there as well. I can't remember if either of you boys were there. It um, was it was Survivor Series 2008 that I watched around Craig Shaw's house. Right. With okay. you and he who shall not be named. Yes. Um, <laughs> Is that a thing now? <laughs> it's a yeah. legitimate thing now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we so we watched it with Voldemort, and um, <laughs> and uh, actually, he looks a bit like Voldemort actually. So, old man, what what was your expectations? Much similar to Tom. So, I was anticipating, because obviously it was not long before we went to WrestleMania 25. It's obviously a fair bit after, but after the masterpiece that is WrestleMania 24. So, I was anticipating Triple H, Orton, one or both of the Hardys, a bit of Cena, a bit of Big Show, a bit of Shawn Michaels, possibly Undertaker, but I think he might have buggered off at this point, and Ellen DeGeneres Jericho. Ellen DeGeneres, if you will. So, it's not something we've seen a lot of. But I was also on the uh, crust heat index. I was temperate, I'd Ooh. say. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't not looking forward to it. But I was also like, I think this will be okay. My one concern was that I couldn't remember commentators, and I was thinking, is it going to be J.R. King and Matt Striker? And I was a little bit worried about that. So as I think I commented last week. I recently, I say recently, it's not recently, six years ago, watched this show and did a review of it, a full on review, which I'll probably post the link to when this episode comes out of this same show. So I remembered my review of it being quite favorable. So I was expecting something pretty decent. I couldn't remember 
everything on the show, but I could remember the main event and remembering liking it quite a lot. And so I was I was pretty um, yeah, I was pretty hopeful that this would break our recent slew of not particularly good shows. Taking into account that we've had Starcade 86, which is pretty decent, but overall mm. we've had a pretty lackluster set of recent shows we've covered. Yeah, basically we've had a horrific run. There have been some pretty terrible ones. In particular, mm. our two least rated shows of all time have happened in the last three or four weeks. So uh, yeah, we, we are we, we we're not on the greatest run at the moment. So Armageddon 2009, and it begins with something I don't know because I haven't got my notes in front of me, which is just absolutely amateur hour here right now. So give me a second. This is really really leaning into like kings and wars and medieval battles. Yeah, funnily enough, I didn't take any notes about that opening video package. I just thought, you know what, this is I'm not interested in this. It's not uh, not particularly notable. No, there isn't. It's just, yeah, this is a weird voice who is saying there'll be wars between kings and Armageddon is due and all this sort of stuff. And I didn't really think it was very good. But what I did think was very good was the set. Yes. It looks like a, a massive old battle-damaged castle, which I quite It enjoyed. does. It's beautiful stuff, that set. It's made me realise that, apart from the monstrosity that was Survivor Series 2010, with the little break in the panel wall that was done the in, I do like a nice set. It sets them apart, and this is, as Tommy said, a particularly good one. Part of the reason why I think I like it is it does really helps you differentiate the show from other ones. So, like the thing that I like mm. about this one is I can remember what happens at the end of the show, which obviously we'll come to, and that is very vivid in my in my memory of what happens. So it's just a nice way to kind of separate all the the different shows that you get from one another. Whereas now they just use the same set effectively for everything, and everything looks the same. It's an interesting one because actually I got to be honest, I didn't actually notice the set of the show until the end of the show. And then when I saw the end of the show, I was like, oh, that's a really cool set. But I hadn't noticed it until the end, which is odd. You you don't pay any attention to sets, Tinky. No, no. the wrong stuff. <laughs> I am. Hey. It, it's funny that has actually been a recurring theme throughout my entire life, especially watching wrestling with Tom, is that I've always noticed Tom will notice everything else but what's going on in the ring until we were about 25 he didn't even realize Bret Hart had this thing where he would play possum and I pointed out for him like when he was about 25 and then suddenly he's like oh yeah I I was too busy looking at that guy with a silly face in the crowd (laughs) yeah exactly um thinky um me and old man have written a song for you actually in regards to this it goes let's talk about sets baby let's talk about you and me there you go. Be... All, the good thing, all the good sets and the bad sets so there may, may be, be in may... WWE. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about sets. Brilliant. Absolutely love, love it. Certain to be a number one. Yeah. So we start with uh, Jim Ross welcoming, welcoming us to the show. So we get a hint that Jim Ross is going to be on the show as a commentator. So that's, that's potentially pleasing. Mm-hmm. Then we get some footage from SmackDown where Vladimir Kozlov attacks Matt Hardy on an episode of The Cutting Edge after the uh, after Edge kind of obviously attacks him first. And then Kozlov comes out and beats him up. And then that is leading into our first match, which is for the is not for the ECW title, as I erroneously wrote um, to start with. It's a non-title match and it sees Matt Hardy versus Vladimir Kozlov. That's where we begin. The reason this is not an ECW title match is that Kozlov has not wrestled on an ECW show up to this point and therefore does not qualify for a title shot, which I actually thought was quite a good explanation of why he didn't deserve a title uh, shot. Anyway, that's the match. 
The match lasts nine minutes and it ends when Kozlov wins by pinfall after a headbutt to the chest and a spine buster. Oh man, why don't you give us your thoughts on this match? Well, first of all, we get our first glimpse of the old commentators and shoved in the corner, we've got Todd Grisham and Matt Stryker, which brings us very early to our Byron Baxton of the week. So in a tumultuous four-year span, Todd Grisham, Toddy G, as he's known to his friends, was named worst television announcer in 2004 and 2006 by the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. (laughs) But in 2008, and this blew my little pants off, him and Matt Stryker won the Slammy Award for Announced Team of the Year. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Tyron Faxton of the Week. Old man, having prepared that fact, still was taken aback by it after he yeah. said it. That's how, that's how yeah. unbelievable it was. I did also notice, actually, that Matt Stryker had his slammy with him on the on the announce table. Well, I didn't put two and two together until I was reading up. So I wanted to get Toddy Cheeks. Uh, I just wanted a little, a little, I wanted to learn some stuff about Toddy G. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's why he had that thing. Don't know where Todd Grisham's was. Because I'm guessing they got one each. Is there any chance, any chance at all, that them winning this Slammy Award was yet another little dig at Jim Ross? Oh, massively. Everything that happens on a WWF show, or WWE show, should I say, she can somehow be be like <laughs> tied back into a little a little dig at Jim Ross somehow. Like Edge is getting a push, and it'll be because like earlier in the day, like JR fucking bumped into like the edge of a table and hurt himself, and it's like ah, Edge is gonna win, you know. <laughs> I have to dispute this because uh, I was watching this first match and uh, I was really struck by the commentary, especially Matt Stryker. So apparently Vladimir Kozlov, he speaks a mixture of Ukrainian and Russian. He's got his whole own language, (laughs) which I assume is Kozlovian. And he fights, and this is Todd Grisham, like a trained machine. Now, I've worked with many machines. I'm using one at the moment. I've never had to train any of them. I was a bit caught off guard by that. But anyway, back to the match. Not bad, I'd say. The crowd stick with it. Well, with Matt Hardy. And um, this is Kozlov in incredibly white pants, like <laughs> extraordinarily white. The terror of a fart in those trunks would they'd end me, to be honest. I was thinking back to the Kozlov lineage, and I was thinking, you know what? In terms of match quality. I think this is probably the best I've ever seen him have. And I think that's definitely on Matt Hardy. I thought it was okay. Which, to be honest, when Kozlov come down to the ring, I thought, oh, this is a rough start. But you know what? It was a smooth start. As smooth as Vladimir Kozlov's pants, thankfully. Yes. (laughs) He looked very smooth. Smooth as a shorn scrotum. Well, first of all, I'd forgotten how amazing Kozlov's music was. It's kind of like a Ramstein-y kind of like weird mm. song. It's quite enjoyable. And you mentioned the Slammys earlier, old man. Not the only Slammy winner at the moment. Kozlov, Slammy Award winner for Newcomer of the Year. And when it comes to commentary, Kozlov, according to my striker, was targeted at the young age by the USSR and trained him at the age of six. So... <laughs> There we go. I Again, I, I didn't mind this match. I saw it, and I saw it about to happen, and I was like, oh, fuck me, here we go. But I thought it was all right, actually. Again, like you said, oh, man, a lot of the work, I think, that could be attributed to Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy's not great, either, and something I did notice when I was watching this match is that I don't believe anything that he does in a ring actually hurts. 
because nothing is offense does look generally very tame and very soft he's mm. not he's not stiff he's floppy in the ring i guess we'll see um but that doesn't detract away from the fact that you know he's had a he's had a magnificent career and, and especially in the latter day stages of the career his ability to reinvent himself and make himself still relevant is something that definitely needs to be applauded he does walk like he shit himself doesn't he yeah maybe he was so worried about kozlov shitting himself that he in fact shot himself mm. um but it was fine. The, the one thing that was weird about the match that I found about the, the end anyway, so obviously there was the big headbutt to the chest, which we know is a debilitating move. <laughs> but then I think I think I think he, that Kozlov wins with like a rock bottom thinky rather than rather than a. Uh, it was a really weird, yeah, slab rock bottom hybrid, which was which was a bit crap. But it kept him looking strong. I guess, which is what you wanted from it. And I don't think it does any damage to Matt Hardy having him lose to someone, in that, to like a foreign monster that they're pushing. So overall, I thought this match was decent. I couldn't wait to start the card. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be considered a rock bottom, but he didn't, Kozlov didn't go down himself. So that's how I would distinguish it from a rock bottom. But yeah, you're right. It was a bit of a strange move. Um, you're right, Vladimir Kozlov is a Slammy Award winner, although the actual title of his Slammy is Breakout Star of the Year. Is the Slammy Award winning um, thing. And um, yeah, I was interested here to see um, Ludwig Borger. No, sorry, Cameron Mustafa. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sylvester Tukai. No, uh, what, uh, Ru- Alexander Rusev. No, Vladimir Kozlov in the ring because um, I-, I haven't really seen very much of him. I really haven't very like I've seen maybe like a handful of matches. He wasn't at WrestleMania 25, although I mean he's probably in the Battle Royal at some point if there was a Battle Royal. I can't even remember now. No, there, no, there, there was the Women's Battle Royal. There was, that's right, yeah, which was won by a man, which is uh, mm. unique. So yeah, but he was all right. Matt Hardy was all right. This was all right. We we've said it before. Matt Hardy again, another another tick against his uh, name because we've said a few times that Matt Hardy surprised us in terms of the quality of the things he's done. And again, this was quite decent, given that Vladimir yeah. Kozlov was involved. I am not a fan of Matt Stryker, uh, as you well know. Can't stand him on commentary. I can't. I just, in fairness, sometimes I think it's just the way vo- their voice sounds. So this is mm. the big problem I have with Mora Ronaldo. It's the same thing. I just don't like his voice. And Matt Stryker's voice just grates on me massively in the same way. So decent little match. Good start, which I wasn't expecting. Wasn't expecting to be this, this decent. And uh, got to be happy with that, really. Because I wasn't yeah. expecting from it at all. You know what? Kozlov, he might he might be on the Rushmore, lads. You never know, <laughs> do you? That fucking Mount Rushmore is getting so fucking crowded now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I know. It should be a fucking crowd Rushmore. Fuck me. It should be crowd <laughs> Rushmore more like it. Bloody hell. Well, that that fucking that stonemason's got a fucking lot of work coming his way, ain't they? Jesus uh, Christ. There was one other thing I wanted to mention about this match, and I don't know if either of you noticed it, but uh, in the about the midpoint of the match. Matt Hardy and Vladimir Kozlov start trading grunts with each other. <laughs> no, I didn't see that because I would have definitely written that down. So, like, Kozlov goes, and Matt Hardy goes, Ugh, and then Kozlov goes, and Matt Hardy goes, Ugh, and it happens. It carries on for about a minute. Was it, like a, was, it, was it like a woman's tennis match? <laughs> That's what it was. That's exactly what it was. They, it was very strange. Anyway, that was that was the main thing I pulled out of that match. But it, it was fine. It was fine. Um, and the fans were quite into it, which I thought was strange. Yeah. Well, I just thought, you know what? Fair fucks. Because if they'd walked out, I'd have been like, what? Kozlov? Hardy? No. <laughs> but they they evidently weren't. They were like, you know what? We'll have this. All right, Harry Enfield. <laughs> um, so next up, we get a backstage. <laughs> I don't know if that t- went over Tom's head. He's not listening or he just doesn't care. 
I no, no, I didn't I didn't get that. Although I used to love Harry Harry Enfield. Kozlov? Hardy? No. Ah. Oh, right. This is this the uh, self righteous brothers, isn't it? Yeah. Stuff. So next up we get bad a backstage segment with Edge, Vicky Guerrero, and Chavo Guerrero in a plush office somewhere backstage. Uh, Edge says he has to get ready for his match. And then Chavo asks Vicky how um, Edge and her took out Jeff Hardy in the hotel room before Hardy's match at the Survivor Series. Vicky insists that they had nothing to do with the attack. But when Chavo persists in asking her, Vicky gets angry and tells Chavo to get the coffee she asked for earlier. That's the whole thing. That's the whole segment. With with two sugars. Gross. With- <laughs> are you are you a believer no. of just one or no sugars? No sugars. Sugar can fuck off. It was also she changed her mind to two like um splendors. Splendors, yes. Well done. Is splendor any better or is that still just as bad? I like my coffee, like my personality. I'm a bit bitter. <laughs> All I could think when I was watching this was poor Chavo. Just <laughs> Well, oh, wait. I know. Oh, and also, um, when he moves on the sofa, it creaks. It does that like fake leather creak, and I was a bit like, oh, it's horrible. It's a proper horrible like pleather mm. sofa, Zala. It looks like it's come from. It looks like it's come from a porn set because it's wiped clean. Yeah, yeah, or a rented house. How are you feeling, Tom, about um, old man's feelings towards Chabot? Not happy. I'm feeling very similar to the way he probably felt about my feelings on Adam Bomb. If I'm being honest, oh. so there could be some real like beef kicking off between two yeah. very good friends about this. See, I'm, yeah. I'm Team Chavo, you're Team Adam Bum. <laughs> well, at, at least they might, at least they might finally be able to be involved in a meaningful feud. Then <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that we're in the corners, old man. Oh, that'd be lovely. And hang on, who's this? It's one of our mum and dads just trying, <laughs> and then one of our relations comes down trying to get us to throw the towel in. I also like the the idea of that we come down and it's like a blood feud and then we just end up having a couple of beers on the outside of the ring as <laughs> they do all the work and getting a bit pissed up. As, ev- as everybody in the crowd starts turning boring. <laughs> yeah. And Chavo Guerrero holds Adam Bomb in some kind of submission hold for 20 minutes. Yeah, lovely <laughs> stuff. Yeah, like cross chicken wing. Beautiful. <laughs> so next up, JR and Taz. So we find out a fourth announcer is for the night, Taz. They announce a text poll to vote for who you think attacked Jeff Hardy at the Survivor Series. You can vote for either Edge, Triple H, Vladimir Kozlov, or Other. My it's vote's a, for Other. Yeah, yeah, and it's a really crap graphic as well. Yes. It's also a bit strange, and I don't know if it's because they've done some post editing muting, but. Jim Ross is like all like very, very stuttery through it. So he sort of says something, then doesn't say anything for like 10 mm. seconds and says something else. It's odd. I don't know what's happened there. So I'm guessing they've cut the number because otherwise I would have texted. I bloody know this. I know <laughs> it is. Is there a prize? <laughs> yeah. It's Adam Bomb. I was going to say, do you know who it is? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Matt Harvey Hardy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, of course. At least well, for their match at WrestleMania. Spoiler alert for everyone. <laughs> Okay. Um, next up, backstage, Hornswoggle is messing around with, and I've put here, Maria? Question mark, exclamation mark. I can't no, remember. It's, it's Eve Torres. Well, you know what? I did figure it out for the second time we see her, but at this mm. point I was like, is this Maria? Um, Finley then tells him not to join him at ringside as it will be safer for him backstage when Finley mm. goes off for his match later in the night. It's just good parenting. Yeah. Although so we may find out it's not. It's just a big old ruse. Mm-hmm. So I had a question about Hornswoggle. Why has he got the little like scuff marks on his face? 
Because he's a grubby little leprechaun. That's why. <laughs> yeah, but he's not grubby anymore. Look at the garb he's wearing. Look at his dad. Got some nice on. They've got some nice nikes on. Must admit. Yeah, yeah. Just give him a bath, isn't it? <laughs> Well, he's also the reigning cruiserweight champion. He should be able to afford a bath by <laughs> <Yeah>. now, really. <laughs> I suppose um, he's not in the Hall of Fame, I'll be honest. It, it'll, it'll come, I'm sure. Yeah. So next, um, William Regal comes out to the ring. He's announced as being the Intercontinental Champion and the King of the Ring, and he is also accompanied by Layla. This was obviously a rich, a rich time for William Regal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's having the time of his life here, isn't he? And he looks good. He's wearing a suit. He's, you know, he looks yeah. really smart. He's a man who loves to wear a three-piece suit, but refuses to, to throw the tie on, which I, which I've never understood. Never got it. <laughs> but what? It's surely the, the the act of putting on the waistcoat makes it, you know, formal. I'm quite up for that. I'm quite up for that. I think that's, uh, I think that's a good look. You reckon? I, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that brings us to our second match of the night. It is the final of a tournament to determine the number one contender to the intercontinental title. And it is between Rey Mysterio and CM Punk. And they go at it in a 12 minute match, which ends when Punk hits the go to sleep to take the victory. And in the process appears to bust open Mysterio's nose hard way. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this match. So this is the old uh, strange cut up the side of the t-shirt and tie it back together around your waist era of Rey Mysterio, which is, which is, (laughs) I've always found that a bit odd because it seems like a waste of a perfectly good T-shirt. And that's not how you wear them, Ray. So one area, area in which John Cena's got over Ray Mysterio as a worker, as a wrestler, is the fact <laughs> that he knows how to put on a T-shirt properly. Although, I've always found that John Cena takes his T-shirt off weird because yes. he takes off one arm over his head and then down the other mm-hmm. arm and then throws it. Very odd way of taking off a t-shirt but that's by the way the match in itself i i quite enjoyed actually there was lots of um camera shots of cm punk's bollocks lots of him with his legs very wide in the camera right up there which i was a <laughs> bit like oh god and again he's wearing very white pants as well so you can see everything basically which was quite distracting a few times during the match there's a really weird bit in the match where the crowd start chanting cm punk and pointing at someone I don't know if you guys noticed that, but all the crowd are going, see yeah. CM Punk, see CM Punk, and pointing at someone. I didn't notice that they were saying CM Punk, but I did notice something strange going on in the crowd because someone was saying something. Yeah. So someone was saying something, and then the rest of the crowd were chanting one thing at them, and then he would say it again, and they would chant the same thing, but I couldn't make out what it was. I Maybe think they... it was Miz is awesome, and right. then people were going, no, oh, Miz is awesome. It was like... It just sounded a bit sad after a while. It was quite funny the first couple of times. I was like, come on, mate, give it up. <laughs> Go on, have a word for yourself. Um, but the, the match in itself was, was quite fun. There's a there's a um there's a there's a quite a nice visual that I quite liked about it was when Ray Mysterio takes a bump over the top rope and lands right at William Regal's feet. And I was like, that's mm. quite quite a nice visual, kind of you know, like a man. Like it, it almost like him being like the king, you know what I mean, sat there and all the like the peasants down at his feet was quite a good good quite a good check. And CM Punk wins with the after GTS, which basically nearly kills Rey Mysterio. He's absolutely yeah. brutal and fucks his nose up a treat. But again, it was quite a good match. I quite enjoyed this. I, I was expecting reasonably high things when they both came down and they delivered. So well done, lads. Yeah, I thought this was right. I uh, I enjoyed the landing that Tom talked about of uh, Rey Mysterio because it looks absolutely brutal as well. He takes heck of a little bump, a little lamb. Um, I thought this was good. Decent pace, a couple of lovely little sequences towards the end. I did think this probably should have opened up the show, to be honest, because I thought, why not? I have something that, with the greatest respect, and 
Matt Hardy Kostov was absolutely fine. Didn't mean anything, did it? I've seen a man in incredibly white pants have a decent wrestling match. But yeah, I uh, I enjoyed this and I absolutely loved Regal and Layla outside. Who just Layla just kept looking seductively on the Intercontinental belt and their Regal. And Regal every now and then would just look at her the same way and then look at the belt with so much love. I was like, go on, lads and lass. Lovely stuff. This is our third set of commentators already. King and Cole as well. Michael Cole, absolutely fine. Jerry Lawler, just crap. And we just did the bloody Matt Stryker and Todd Grisham. Even then, I was still like, oh, God, he's crap, me. Why couldn't oh. Why couldn't Jerry Lawler during this period have been a heel? That's what I don't get. Like they, He's a big baby face all the way through this period. And mm. I just, I'm like, why not just make him a heel again? Like, now you can, because it's back to PG at this point. So I think, is that right? Got to be by yeah. this surely. Yeah. And yeah, just take him back to 94, Jerry Lawler, and have, have a laugh. But no. I I, cause I think that would actually take some effort. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he can be bothered. I think, like we've heard before, that like before Raw, he just doesn't do it, and you know, he just turns up, sits there, chats yeah. for three hours, it's off. Like I just don't think he cares. I don't think he can be asked anymore. Mm, shame. Yeah. I thought this was good. Really good, actually. I really enjoyed it. I thought the end was excellent. The close fall, near falls, the reversals, the counters, really cool couple of like there's a bit there's a bit where punk ducks a 619 mysterio counters a gts with a hurricane runner then he hits a 619 but misses the splash because punk sits up and i just thought it was a really nice like exchange a really nice sequence of moves that led to the finish yeah really really decent match this obviously you expect it it's very it's very mysterio and cm punk it's a match you expect to be good but it did mm. deliver which has not recently been something we've been able to say very often so yeah, yeah I, I thought it was a really decent match in terms of it being first i didn't mind i mean i, I think it had kozlov and matt hardy stunk up the place then probably yeah, yeah. but but they didn't so it's fine and at the time i think that match did kind of re- relate to the main event as well that vladimir kozlov matt mm. hardy match so it did make some sense that people would have some interest in it and actually i thought that the crowd were a little bit quieter for this match than they were for the opener which is bizarre but it was still very good. And as they got near the end, it, the, the crowd really got into it because it was a pretty yeah. dramatic and cool finish. But as you say, Mysterious Nose afterwards. Oof. Yeah. Horrible. I do imagine the crowd were a little bit quiet because I think there was about 48 hours between the matches. <laughs> they were probably just bored. Well, I don't know about you, but the reason why I would ever go to a WWE pay-per-view is to stand there look at a screen and watch some terrible acting for a couple of minutes or 20 minutes between matches. That's why I go. <laughs> That's why we all go, Tom. All right. Yeah. This was uh, also the match, I believe, where they showed the Buffalo Bills in the front row. Possibly. The Buffalo Bills just played, a, just played a game. They've lost. And I did think, I was like, can you imagine the Ferrari if, say, they had a pay-per-view in Manchester, Manchester United or Man City had lost and the players were seen in the front row mucking around. Oh, my God. The media would have been merciless. We also, during this match, or at least before the match, we saw pictures, stills, of Miz and Morrison winning the tag team titles mm-hmm. from CM Punk and Kofi Kingston on a house show the night before. I wonder if this was the last time titles changed hands on a house show because I don't imagine it's happened too much since then. No, then. I guess I think there was one feeling. recently, like a big one. Mm, that's what I was thinking. 
can't been that recent because they obviously haven't been having house shows for the last couple of years. So to, recent to me is like in the last 15 years, mate. So, <laughs> well, this was in the last 15 years, so it could still well have been after the one you're thinking about. Let's have a little look. Let's have a look. Hang on, hang on. Are you going to check every single title lineage since 2009? Nah, unfortunately, wrong. the internet sorts us out. So Mickey James won the uh, WWE Women's title in 2007. Um, Massive. Uh, yeah, after the event. Uh, Samoa Joe. Bloody, there's loads of them in NXT. Absolute tons of them. No one cares about that. Shit. Wow. <laughs> uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, beat Samoa Joe. Yeah, and it obviously mentions the classic that we would have missed. Well, AJ Styles defeated Kevin Owens for the US Championship at Madison Square Garden on July 7, 2017. Ah, okay. That's nice. That's nice. That's some decent research and some great listening. Absolutely great listening. And the thing is, Tinky will have to pick the bones out of that, and it will just be you immediately saying that, Tommy. It's going to be beautiful. You will look like a genius. (laughs) Like an encyclopedic... Not like, fuck off. Jesus, like an encyclopedic knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, that's staying in. Yeah. (laughs) That does count, obviously, and that's more like it. That's what I'm thinking. I don't care about the NXT title changes because that doesn't count, but the US title, that counts. Um, But I'm presuming that might also have been one that could have been a special on the WWE Network for all I know, so who knows. So next up, we get a Jeff Hardy straight-to-camera promo in the dark. He says that people have been trying to change him all his life. He says everyone has tried to break him, but he's broken down the walls himself. Says he is who he is. Jeff Hardy, WWE champion. So Jeff Hardy, the great philosopher, much like Popeye the Sailor Man, he is who he is. (laughs) I didn't actually mind this promo. Considering how dreadful Jeff Hardy has historically been, I thought they did a good job at masking some of his flaws by kind of having it straight to camera, having it I've written that Jeff Hardy does a green promo because he's all, he's all lit up in green. And they did enough to kind of like mask, to, to, he'd basically distract away from the absolute flannel that he's talking in the promo by making it look a little more interesting. It was pretty good until he said imagination really weirdly. He said, oh, yeah. he said, I, my gynation. And I was yeah. like, what? I mean, his nickname is the charismatic enigma. One of those words is definitely inaccurate, I think, when it comes to his promo skills. Maybe he should be called the enigmatic charisma. Oh, that's lovely. You little scamp. I don't know what that means, but yeah, we'll have it. There's there's an amazing bit in um in Veep where uh, the president is running for election and they've got a uh, their campaign slogan is continuity through change, which we can all agree means absolutely nothing. And uh, and that's what the charismatic enigma is for Jeff Hyde, is continuity through change. I actually do agree with you, though. Tom, I like the way that they've they've made a different environment for him to make a promo in rather than just the same old thing that everybody does. I'm actually a big fan of when wrestling shows use every bit of an arena or or a, a building for the different interviews. Like I, I like it when they don't just have one place where everyone does their interview. I like it if they're perhaps some of them do it straight to camera. Some of them do it in a pre-recorded fashion. Others do like a sit down and you have maybe one, one person comes to the ring. Maybe another one does it on the stage. Like I quite like the idea of just mixing it up, just using the arena as much as you can, just because otherwise it starts to feel a bit samey, a little bit repetitive. Mm. Whereas if you use bit different bits of the arena, it's quite good. So I quite like this because again, it was just a, a different thing and you don't see very many. And even then you didn't really see very many different types of promos being given. So that was, that was at least something that I thought was pretty good. I think Next, they're quite good at that in AEW as well. You uh, having different backstage promos in different areas. Yeah. And you, like the fact that like the elite 
or the super click or whatever they're called always have theirs recorded by Brandon Cutler and you know it's there all somewhere else and they always end up having to go in because he's such a prick or it's so <laughs> incompetent and then they got like Tony Shereen does some you get others with like Mark Henry where he does his main event ones on Rampage and stuff like that I think yeah they're, they're quite good at doing that aren't they yeah I appreciate that kind of stuff so next up we get uh, Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler introducing a video about the story of Shawn Michaels and his financial issues. Um, JBL reveals on Raw that Michaels lost all his money when the stock market crashed and he offers Shawn Michaels a job. Then we see the Slammies when Michaels and Flair was, is named Match of the Year. JBL then interrupts and accepts the awards on HBK's behalf. This then prompts JBL to come to the ring. He introduces his newest employee, Sean Michaels. Michaels takes the mic. He says the economy has hit everybody pretty hard. And he says he's in a tough, tough spot right now. Says he lived the high life in his 20s. And then in his 30s, the injuries mounted up and he had to pay lots of medical bills. He says he has two children and a wife. And he says he invested his money, but he says he doesn't know how much time he has left in the ring. And that is why he has taken JBL up on his offer. He says JBL is smug and a bully and reprehensible, but is good financially. And that's what he needs right now. Uh, He says he would not become one of those guys, um, a wrestling tragedy. He would not let that happen. The fans start to chant, you sold out after HPK basically prompts them to by saying, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you may say you sold out to me, etc. Then JBL takes the mic off HBK and extends his hand to him and HBK shakes it. Sad Michaels then walks out. Then we get some (laughs) then we get some quiet Michael Cole on commentary. Let's rewind a little bit. So you've got the little recap. JBL and Michaels are in the ring. JBL's in a suit, kind of promo. Shawn Michaels, not wearing wrestling garb, is there as well. For some reason, Scott Armstrong is stood behind JBL. Yeah, I noticed like, that. I was like, why is there a referee there? And then I thought, God, Scott Armstrong as well. Like, Tom would be fucking spitting feathers. That's Absolutely right. fuming. And um, also, when uh, JBL comes out to his great music in his limo, opens the limo door, there's some people sat where the limo stops. One guy dressed as John Cena must have the worst seats I've ever seen of any event, ever. <laughs> they can't see the screen. They won't be able to see the rain. How much did these people pay? And did they know? They got to see JBL and his limo up, up close, though, so... Yeah, he got got scowled at as well. Um, this is crap, but a couple of little things I appreciated. Um, enjoyed Shawn Michaels ripping JBL, just as JBL stood behind him. Trouble is, JBL doesn't sell it at all. There's a little bit like, come on, mate. At least look a little bit pissed off. Uh, second handshake of the show so far. I forgot to mention the uh, handshake at the start of the Rey Mysterio punk match. Two handshake show. You don't get many of those. It's like an episode of the Bake Off and Port Hollywood. Yeah. It's like multiple Hollywood handshakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you said, Tinky, you get sad, quiet Michael Cole. But the king says, this is unfortunate. <laughs> at the end, I was a little bit like, what is? Then I assumed that he was trying to look at some horrible porn on his phone and the wi-fi had dropped out tom your thoughts on this promo uh shit next <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i didn't think it was the best promo but i really do appreciate the story i think because not because i thought it was amazing but it's just different it's mm. the kind of thing that we don't really see very much these days and to be honest back then you did see it a bit more often like it it felt like either wwe was more trusting of its talent or its talent were more invested in coming up with stuff 
for people to do. So obviously this was the year when we also had the, in fact, a lot of it revolved around Shawn Michaels and effectively, I think WWE saying to him, look, we want you to keep wrestling and him going, well, if you want me to keep wrestling, I'm only going to do stuff that I really want to do. And I'm really interested in. So he had the stuff with Chris Jericho earlier in this same year after the flair retirement match, of course, uh, and Batista had the stuff with him too. And now he was doing this. And I just thought, They've got enough people now in their roster who've been around for long enough that you thought they would just trust enough to come up with something like this and plot out a kind of individual storyline for themselves. And I like the fact that it, it kind of brought in elements of what was going on in the real world and it felt relatively simple, but still quite original. So I, I quite liked it. The interesting thing for me, though, is, of course, is that the original plan, if the rumours and innuendo are to be believed, to borrow a phrase from another podcast, is that Shawn Michaels and JBL was due to be the match at WrestleMania 25. And it was only very late in the day that they changed it to Shawn Michaels Undertaker, or, or at least a couple of months before WrestleMania that they changed it to Shawn Michaels Undertaker, which I've got to be honest, I'm eternally grateful for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that would have been a pretty terrible WrestleMania without the Shawn Michaels mm. Undertaker match. That makes sense, actually, because obviously it turns out to be JBL's last match because mm. he mm. gets he ready, gets beat yeah gets beat by Mysterio in five seconds. That does make sense. God, what lovely end that could have been. And we instead we had to watch that dross. <laughs> you had uh, to wonder who would Undertaker have faced if he hadn't faced Shawn Michaels. Well, Rey Mysterio, presumably. No, he he definitely have faced Tony Atlas. <laughs> we can only hope what a shame that would have been a that would have been a great match right moving on so then i finally come to the realization that it's eve torres not maria mm. uh, doing the backstage interviews and she welcomes randy orton for an interview he's stood alongside cody rhodes and manu and they basically speak on orton's behalf cody rhodes says that orton was the crown jewel of evolution and batista is not in their league um he is not a third generation star like they are Manu says that Orton is going to expose Batista and cement his legacy. I don't know how he's going to expose Batista, but I hope it's in a non-sexual way. Um, the So I, my note is that some woman interviews Randy Orton, because I didn't realize who it was at that point. Uh, Cody says some stuff, which is all right, and some Samoan bloke says, says something which is awful. Randy Orton says nothing, which is probably for the best. Also, so, this is weird because Manu was very briefly in Legacy and then was basically ditched by them and released mm. by the company very quickly after this point, because when we got to WrestleMania 25, it was definitely by that point, Orton Rhodes and Ted DiBiase Jr. Yeah. Do you want to know something about Manu? Why not? He was a, he was ranked 368 at the top 500 singles wrestlers in the PWI 500 of 2008. That's not great, to be honest. Cause it's... Well, no, but it's better than 369. That's true. That is true. Mm. Can't argue yeah. with that. Interesting, isn't it? Because he's um, Affa's son. Yeah. Whereas a Seeker's son is Roman Reigns. Yeah. So you must kind of think, oh, there you go, feeling inferior to my cousin in terms of wrestling. Must be a bit weird. Though, though it's very celebrated, the Samoan kind of annoy family dynasty, and it, it's amazing. But they're, they're very much like there are peaks and troughs up there. You know, there's some that are mm. amazing, there's some that are just a bit shit. It must be a little bit like the Hearts. You know what I mean? I mean is, is, uh, is Manu the... Bruce Hart of the family. <laughs> it can't be that much of a cut, can he? But still, he's he's one of the one of the lesser ones, isn't he? Clearly. Just a uh, another quick note before we move on. Just wanted to see who Manu was above. He was above Johnny Curtis, Fandango, now Dirty Dango, 
And also, astonishingly, Jim Duggan was 377th in 2008. Wow. And he was uh, just above Sean Waltman and some people I don't know, a guy called Mike Reed, who I'm assuming was Frank Butcher. <laughs> Frank Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Great worker. Pat, Pat, Hey, Pat, are you looking at me? <laughs> Punk. <laughs> So the next match is uh, the Belfast Brawl between Mark Henry and Finley. It's a nine and a half minute match. And the end goes like this. Henry snaps Finley's shillelagh over his knee, then does the same with a kendo stick that Finley tries to hit him with. Henry then clamps on a bear hug and Hornswoggle then arrives. But Henry shoves Finley to him and Hornswoggle falls off the apron. Hornswoggle then retreats under the ring. Meanwhile, in the ring, the match continues and Hornswoggle then throws Finley another shillelagh and then he cracks it on Henry's head for the win. Luckily, the, the weapons come out quickly. There's lots of bins and kendo sticks. Mike Henry must have given himself piles after missing a bonzo drop and he lands right <laughs> on his ass and it looks so painful. There's a bit of commentary, a couple of bits of commentary that I've remembered forever and they've always stuck in my head. And the first one is when Mark Henry breaks the shillelagh in the kendo stick in which uh match strike says there are wild bears in china that can't do that <laughs> which is an extraordinary <laughs> bit of commentary todd grisham then says that mark henry has got lunchbox sized fists yeah which again because how, you know, how big is a lunchbox don't know and then there's a bit where mark henry picks up the ring ring steps and moves them which we've seen many wrestlers do it's not it's not a new thing. And he says those steps weigh two hundred and thirty pounds and then they take four men to set up. Now yeah. I know you're trying to put over how strong Mark Henry is, but my god man, this is hyperbolic to the nth degree. It's absolutely ridiculous. Before you go into the match, Tom, I actually thought they were quite restrained there saying two hundred and thirty pounds, because I've heard them talk about that stuff as if it's like two tons before. So yeah. I thought this was actually quite a restrained <laughs> amount of weight. I mean admittedly still ridiculous, but still quite restrained. So and, and the uh the, the wild bears in China that can't break these rather flimsy looking yeah. kendo things. He starts off wild bears and then realizes, Oh hang on, it's pandas and then quickly corrects himself. <laughs> if you've ever China. seen a panda eat bamboo do you know what they have to do? They'll break it. That's it. They have to take it off. So I think he's talking bollocks. Um, characteristic, I think, of Match Striker. Mm. But um, like Finley, come, there's one thing that kind of annoyed me a little bit at the beginning. Really stupid. But Finley comes down, he's holding the shillelagh. It's a no DQ match. It's not using it right from the beginning. It makes <laughs> no sense to me. You know what I mean? It's just daft. Um, but yeah, this is quite fun. Like like this this match doesn't try to be anything that it isn't, which is just. A kind of daft, silly. It's not quite a comedy match, but it's not play, played entirely seriously either. I don't think. And yeah, I just I thought it was quite fun. I I thought it was quite fun. I like the uh, again another, another tossing of something and catching of the shillelagh, which then gets used. You know, it's just always adding that extra element of danger. And overall, yeah, I thought this was quite fun. So Mark Henry's hairline is depressing because I've been through what he was going through at this point. He's got a little cornrows, but you could probably put an HGV between. The actual rows so they're not very no, they're not very tightly packed shall we say um tommy's obviously mentioned the commentary so old henry is putting a heck of a beating on finley he's i think he's in with the 42 ton steps at this point and uh matt striker says oh if you've ever bitten your tongue you can understand the pain that finley's in and i was like bitten your tongue 
he's just been tossed around by Western Supermare's finest. <laughs> I mean, I've bit me tongue, it's bloody horrible, but I imagine that's favourable to having four tonne steps lobbed at you by a man with a receding hairline. And that is more painful. If they've got a receding hairline, that's even more <laughs> exactly. painful. Bloody right, mate. You have a guy get on the wrong side of me and I can find some steps, then you'll be in trouble, mate. <laughs> sure, I would rather it be Tom because it will hurt less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be honest, I thought this was a bit crap. And uh, the one saving grace was watching Tony, poor Tony Atlas trying to bend over to look for Hornswoggle. And he's obviously like, he, he's obviously not in the best way physically. So it's quite painful to watch. But then it went on long enough that I started laughing. And uh, old fitness absolutely wallops Mark Emery with it as well. Like he proper lays in and you get the happy ending. But I, this is crap otherwise, to be honest. But also inoffensive crap. Like they're not trying to do anything else, but do what they do. Perfectly fine. But in the scheme of what we've seen so far in terms of match quality, a bit crap. But Bundamania lives, according to a sign in the crowd. Which, given obviously what we saw, yeah, yeah, given (laughs) what we saw last week, couldn't believe me luck. That's cool. I I I noticed I noticed a sign as well, which was uh, please put Marty Janetti on TV. Uh, There was a sign. I saw that lad. You said there was a happy ending. I wondered at that point whether Val Venus had turned up for some reason. (laughs) That would be a pearly white ending. I, I thought this was quite good too. Actually, I quite enjoyed this. I thought it was quite fun. Um, I I don't know why. I just thought it was it was breezy. That's how I'd call this match breezy. There was no undue tightness about it. It wasn't it wasn't boring. It wasn't like it wasn't like they were being too technical in a bad way, which made it like dull. They were tidy. They weren't kind of sloppy in any way. It was just fun. A breezy match. It reminded me. In fact, they even mentioned it during the match. It reminded me of the Belfast Brawl between JBL and Finley, which happened at WrestleMania 24. It was very similar in the way it kind of just just happened, and it was fun. And as you say, the way I, I think it's perfectly summed up by the way Finley swings that shillelagh, and he just does it, and it looks perfectly real. It looks mm. absolutely legitimate, and it looks like it would knock someone out. And so when he wins, it's it's equally believable and I, yeah i just thought this was a really you know fun little match and they can't all be great we've already had no. you know we had that really good match between cm punk and Rey mysterio earlier in the show admittedly there's been a long time since that, <laughs> that match yeah. because we had the jbl stuff but uh, yeah I, I like this i'm i'm tom i thought this was a a good fun match so what we'll do there given that we've still got four matches left we'll take a quick break and we'll come back in just a moment ladies and gentlemen my guest tonight has been in the ring with Shawn Michaels on many occasions, but tonight he faces Batista. Please welcome Randy Orton. Randy, what is your strategy against Batista tonight? Strategy? It's like Randy said last week. Randy Orton was the crown jewel of evolution. And Batista, Batista was just, just hired muscle. There's a reason for that. Batista isn't on our level. Batista doesn't possess the God-given natural abilities of a second or third generation superstar like myself, like Manu, like Randy. The three of us grew up around all of this. This, it's in our blood. 
In other words, he's been waiting for four years. This man tonight is going to expose Batista for the fraud that he is. Tonight, Randy Orton cements his legacy. So welcome back. We have got four more matches to go. Plenty still to take place. And it starts with um, Santa Claus backstage who interrupts the Bellas, Melina uh, and others. I couldn't be bothered to name them all or even figure out who they were, if I'm perfectly honest with you. They are looking at gifts around the Christmas tree and they are interrupted by Santino Morella and Beth Phoenix. Santino then says that all of them lost to his Glamazon in the Slammy for Diva of the Year. So they're very much hammering home mm. the Slammies and the significance of the Slammies that are taking place on Raw. This is on a pay-per-view that people have had to pay for. They're now promoting a show that happened a week before. <laughs> and what's that about? It's crazy. Morena then uh, picks up a present, but Boogeyman appears within the presence. <laughs> then Morella screams and goes to run away. But as he opens the door to get out, Gold Dust appears on the other side of the door. And then Morella runs away in the other direction. Then Gold Dust and Boogeyman start to sing We Wish You a Merry Christmas. The Bellas and the other divas join in. Then Jesse and Festus, IRS and Mike Kyoto, as, long as, as well as others, again, couldn't bother to name them all, join in with them. Yeah, some, uh, some comedy in inverted commas for everyone. Well, nothing. There's nothing comedic about IRS. Deadly serious is one of the best <laughs> of all time. It was. It was very much like I was like, oh, here we go. It's one of the Rees backstage vignettes where they're being wacky. Oh, well, here we go. Oh my fucking god, IRS is there. <laughs> and that did it. That did it for me. I mean, that made this the greatest backstage segment of all time. I really enjoyed this because it was really stupid, and I loved Festus. Just stood there. Old Luke Gallows, a friend of the show, Luke Gallows, <laughs> just, just there, still in character, while everyone else is singing We Wish You a Merry Christmas or whatever they were singing. And I was like, look at Festus there. What an absolute hero. Good stuff. And then, like you said, IRS is here. What's not to like? Yeah, it did, for me, the only thing it was missing and I was expecting was the uh, the Ron Simmons dam at the end of it. And it yeah. Which, well, which uh, for me, would have made it all worthwhile if he'd have come along at the end and done that. Well, perhaps you had to do some last-minute Christmas shopping. Maybe. Although it wasn't exactly last minute. This was like a couple of weeks before Christmas this show took place. Well, I don't don't know how busy his schedule is. That's true. He's got a lot of damn to say, doesn't he? So (laughs) we then get Mr. Kennedy saying, don't drink or do drugs. Then promote some kind of DVD release, I think, for a film that he was probably in. I don't know. I don't care. He gives a fuck. Um, And then he says his name twice, which is Mm. the only thing he ever really did as far as I'm concerned. Then we get back to Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler, who are still laughing about the previous segment. <laughs> They've obviously just completely been, they must have been absolute, in absolute pieces during the Kennedy thing, how funny they found it. And they'd only just briefly got themselves back together again. <laughs> then there's a video package hyping Batista and Randy Orton's four-year wait to face one another, stretching back to their days in evolution. Now, I didn't know if this was a first-time matchup between the two, but they were certainly selling it as such. And I think the reason they hadn't had a match before this point was, in my opinion, no one could ever give a fuck. Because the minute I I saw that this match was going to be on, I was like, I really don't give a fuck. I don't know what you guys felt, but that's how I felt about it the minute I saw that this match was going to be on the show. 
largely, but I liked the bit in the video package where Batista says, one day it's going to be me and you. And at Armageddon, it's going to be me <laughs> and you. What the fuck you want to write, Dave? Apparently, I hope you're better at memorizing your script now, now, now than you were back then. Yeah, I think I like Orton a bit more than you boys. So That's I true. wasn't. That's true. Yeah, I, I wasn't dreading this, but just for the little fact check. So they had a match on Raw, January 10th, 2005, mm. in a number one contenders match. So infinitely more important than this match. <laughs> I didn't think it was likely that it was the first time it happened, but I'm assuming this is no. their first big feud or, um, you know, pay-per-view match. And I thought, again, like, I, I was like, because I don't hate Randy Orton, I just, I'm not, you know, given his position now as this guy that's been in the main event for like, what, 15, 16, 17 years in the company, he's probably one of the bigger names around. I just don't see him as that good at, at that level. Like, I feel like if he had been a perennial mid-card guy like the Miz or Kofi Kingston, that's probably the the level I think he should be at, as opposed to this kind of supposedly major star. But there's something about Batista and Randy Orton, the combination of the two, that I was like, I can believe this is the first pay-per-view match they've ever had. And it says at all that this is on is in the middle of the show on a B-level pay-per-view that they mm. put this on. It's almost like WWE themselves aren't too keen on this match. And they've thought, well, we kind of have to throw them in somewhere. So we're going to do it here. I just thought it was it's just strange because there's nothing to it. No, oh, we've been waiting four years for this. Well, we know now through the wonders of the internet they haven't been. Not far off four years, to be fair. But like I said, I wasn't not looking forward to it, but I was a bit like, well, you're throwing this away, lads. You're throwing it away for those scumbags in Buffalo. <laughs> Absolutely not. Did anyone else as well, and maybe this is just me, and I have been re-watching it for some strange reason uh, recently. I equated this to... Um, <laughs> The two, the two brothers from Prison Break having a match. <laughs> like, that's what they look like. It's like Wentworth Miller and the other guy. I can't remember the Do name. There, there, is, there is a resemblance. There is a, definitely a resemblance there. You're right. I, I'm just watching this and I, I'm watching this match and I'm like, oh, it's so slow and plodding and boring. Like every other Randy Orton match I've ever watched, apart from maybe his match against The Undertaker at WrestleMania. 20 or 19 or whenever 20 or whenever it is i just i i'm not i don't find randy orton enjoyable in the ring at all and batista's not very good so yeah i I haven't got hardly any notes for this match because i find it so dull the only thing that's interesting in my notes is the fact that batista has been also credited to barista which would have been an amazing gimmick for him if he's like a he works in like a cafe and he comes in and brings like espressos to people and stuff that'd be lovely Batista the barista that would be brilliant it's a it's a nearly 17 minute match between these two it's almost the longest on the show not quite but almost and it ends when Batista hits a Batista bomb for the victory and my own thoughts on this was that it wasn't bad actually it's just it was just never for me I was just never gonna like this it's just something about that's why I kind of said what I said about this match before the match itself is like I instantly took against it because I just looked at the combination and I thought it's just so uninspiring to me that this match that I I just don't think I'm going to like it. And equally, Tom, I have only got like I've got the, the the fewest notes for any match on this show for this one. And I didn't I, as I said, I thought what they did was actually quite good, but I just wasn't interested at all. And, that, and it, it was a big problem for me. Just just the visual of these two facing one another. See, I really enjoyed it. I just thought it was good. They were quite, they were better together than I was expecting. I gotta be honest, because I think 
Like we kind of touched on Batista's not very good at this point, like Tommy just said. But I think they do a good job. There's there's pretty much the standard spots that you're gonna get. So there's the the hangman DDT between the ropes. Little things like Batista sells it and his legs are still on the ropes. So it just looks like he's properly knocked out by it. Just makes makes things matter a bit more. They both both de- do a decent job selling. I think there's a decent pace to it considering the two guys as well. And I wouldn't have said it was 17 minutes, but just shy of 17 minutes. I just thought it was good. And the finish is great, but I can't remember what the finish is because I didn't write it down. It's a great finish and it's a great sell by Orton as well. Yeah, I just really enjoyed it. One thing now on a on big Batista, he does have a little cough towards the end of the match. Oh, good. good. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the um, Brazilian coffee hitting the back of his throat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's he's had a particularly rich Colombian espresso earlier in the match. He's <laughs> catching up with him. <laughs> and uh, he is blowing out his ass after he does his entrance. When they show him in the ring as he's like waiting for Orton to come down, oh, he's blowing his blowing out his bloody ass, poor little lamb. But no, uh, I enjoyed this. Blowing out his ass, that'll be the Chilean coffee again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad, old man, that you liked it, actually, because as I said, I thought when I was watching, I was like, this is actually quite good. I just, I'm not into mm. it. I just don't want to see these two fight. And it's not really fair for me to criticise it because I was like, it is a good match. I, I feel like it is playing out and it's a, it, they're keeping a good pace. It's quite one dimensional, but the fans are really into it. And I thought if this was anyone else, I'd have probably liked it. But I just I just took against it because these two were in, a, in the match. Like I kind of just instantly went, this is not a match that interests, interests me. I mean, I would never, ever judge a match before it's happened. I'd be thinking you should be very <laughs> disappointed in yourself. <laughs> Apart yeah. from all, all of that ECW Living Dangerously show. That I decided <laughs> was shit before I even started watching it. Hey, so it's your prerogative. It's fine. It's fine. It is. That's my prerogative. That's not the song, is it? That's not how it goes. My prerogative. No, there my we go. However. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Come on, Bobby Brain. It's close to mid. No, not that song. All right, <laughs> then we get some highlights from the Slammy Awards on the Monday before Armageddon. So they really are fucking pushing the show that's already yeah. happened that was on free TV. And then it's, it shows Chris Jericho being announced as Superstar of the Year. We then see a match between Cena and Edge where Jericho attacks Cena and Triple H and Hardy attack Edge. That's in there. But the placement of it is strange because that's got nothing to do with what comes next because what comes next is the Santa's Little Helper match. Any thoughts on the little video package? If you know, There may not be, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. I didn't even, I didn't even note it down, to be honest. I just wrote footage from the Slammies, and which is weird because it's not even like they're consistent with the Slammies. Sometimes they're like, oh, it's really important. And sometimes they don't even do it and just ignore it, don't they? Yeah. It's very, very weird. I would say it looked like a cracking into rule with with everyone having a little beat down of each other. But then I did think I was like, well, that would be great back in the day. But then they had SmackDown on the Friday night. And it's kind of like, well, you've just popped your load, didn't you? <laughs> so the next match is the Santa's Little Helper eight women tag team match. It features uh, Michelle McCall, Maria, Mickey James and Kelly Kelly against Maurice, Victoria, Gillian Hall and Natalia. So this one ends when Michelle McCall wins for her team when she hits Gillian Hall with the Stars Clash after tagging herself in, which Maria is not particularly happy about. Let's talk about the match first, and then we'll go into the post-match. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this one? Well, all the commentators are on this match. So all obviously it goes to show how important it is. 
Yeah. They're all they're all getting involved. I thought how mad it is how long Natalia's been around for. Mm. And what mm. must have been going through her mind at this point as well. But now there's a lot of good hands in the in the women's wrestling division. But at this point, it was it was basically just models who they tried to turn into not even wrestlers, but someone to fill to get in the ring and muck around for a little bit. Much striker calls um Kelly Kelly a hot Hebrew, which was mm. Bit distasteful, I found. Right? And uh, Victoria has got a Stone Cold Steve Austin esque knee brace on as well. It's absolutely enormous. Other than that, I've got no notes because it's crap. It's absolute rubbish. There's mm. no point in this match happening. And they're all trying hard, you know, bless them, but there's no reason to care for it and it's not very good. The only thing that might come out of it is that potentially there might be a bit of a feud between Michelle and Michelle McCall and Maria, but there's no, there's no kind of reason, you're not given a reason as to why this particular team is against this particular team, or if there are, if there's a mixture of heels and baby faces on them, didn't think it was very good, but it was never going to be because it didn't have the chance to be. They were never given the chance for it to be anything other than rubbish. Me, I don't know what you were watching, but it was obvious what the issue was between them because it was red versus green. I mean, come on. <laughs> of course. That's blatant. Um, I have to just pick you up on something, which is that I think in this match... You know, I, d- I don't think Kelly Kelly is a hot Hebrew, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think in this match, they actually show that they are capable of something in a number of di- different moments. There's some good little bits of wrestling. It's just it doesn't mean anything because of the presentation and the context that they've put around this match. So they have basically said, yeah, this is our, you know, this is this is the women's match, which is going to mean nothing. We're calling it a Santa's little helper match, which doesn't help things at all. They're all they're still called the Divas at the time. It's basically some very mild titillation for a pg audience that's what the idea is here it's something for the dads i think is the idea and therefore they have wrapped it in this context which makes it look shit but actually what they do i thought was pretty good in places and it's just a shame that they had no there was no context for them to actually for that to make an impression on anybody so you know, I felt really quite bad for all of them, even the ones that weren't necessarily wrestlers in, in at least initially, because I think it's I think it is Kelly Kelly, who is probably the least of the wrestlers of them, actually. And she's very athletic at one point, doing some really quite interesting stuff. So, yeah, I, I just felt bad for them, ultimately, because it was just nothing. I agree with you, Tiki. I thought in terms of in-ring stuff, I thought this was pretty good for four and a half minutes. I mean, still this one, Mark Emery. But what but is? What is? <laughs> yeah. I think Matt Stryker asks each commentator who their favourite is. Yeah. Which I found absolutely repulsive because this is 2008. It's not the mid 90s. Like, fuck you now. And it's just really sexist. Just really, really sexist. And he comes out of this. Like, Matt Stryker thinks an absolutely terrible commentator and a terrible interviewer. Don't have any imagination that he's a bad man. But he comes out of this very poorly really poorly and i just thought it was it was such a waste because i think if they'd just dressed well if they'd let these ladies dress as they normally would i think we'd be talking about it in a totally different way and the commentators probably would be as well but like you said that's not why they're there they're there for a little bit of titillation the funny thing about matt striker as well here is that all the commentators are on it right there are six of them all commenting Mm. on this so if you were somebody who found it a bit distasteful you could easily hide yourself you could easily mm-hmm. just not talk and let the others talk over you and, and not say much. It wouldn't make a difference. You'd be fine. Okay. So it's almost like in his eagerness to actually be a voice on the commentary, yeah. 
he's just let himself down. But as I said, you, you could just, you know what, I'm going to stay quiet because there's no there's no good that can come of this. So I'm just not going to not going to enter which, into the spirit of it, which I'm pretty sure J.I. does. Mm. Just yeah. chills in the mm. background. He's only he only speaks when he's directly addressed. Yeah. And he does desperately as well. This is the other thing I found really interesting. Uh, it, he does desperately when they ask him the questions they ask him, he desperately tries to just avoid it. Like mm. they sort of, he says, which is your favorite? Do you like this one or that one? And, and, and JR's like, I'm, you know, I'm happy, a happily married man trying to just get past it. He just doesn't want to enter into the, he doesn't want to accept the concept of the questions being asked to him. And I'm kind of like, I can totally understand where he is there, trying to just get away from this subject entirely because he's not comfortable with it and need, nor should he be. No. I want to quickly go back to the Slammy Awards. It happened in 1986, 1987. Then it didn't happen again until 94. And then 96, and then 97. Then for 2008, pretty much straight through to 2015, it was consistent. And then they didn't do it until 2022. Now, the reason I bring this up... Hang on. So how, did they, how did they not do it till 2022? It's not even 2020. Sorry, yeah. 2000, sorry 2020. Um, but what I do want to quickly talk about is the 1987 Slammy Awards and the, uh, the categories... Okay, so you've got the Hulk Hogan Real American Award, won by Superstar Billy Graham, the Woman of the Year, won by Miss Elizabeth, the Jesse the Body Award, won by Rick Rude, the Bobby the Brain Heathen Scholarship Award, which went to uh, the Islanders, Andrew the Giant, Hercules, King Kong Bundy, and Harley Race, so the Heathen family, effectively, Best Ring Apparel, which went to Harley Race, Manager of the Year, and the list of Manager of the Year was Bobby Heenan, Mr. Fuji, Jimmy Hart, and Slick. And the winner went to none of the above. Um, <laughs> best performance by an animal. The nominee, the other nominees were uh, Matilda, Damien, and Frankie, but they lost out to George the Animal Steel. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest hit went to the greatest hit went to Jim Duggan. Best vocal performance went to Jim Duggan. Song of the Year. The nominees were Stand Back for Vincent Mann. Coco Beware, the Honky Tonk Man, and Jimmy Hart, who performed Girls in Cars. The winner was, there was no winner because the envelope was eaten by Seeker. <laughs> um, best group, One Man Gang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best personal hygiene, Nikolai Volkov, Boris Zukov, and Slick. Best personal hygiene. Humanitarian <laughs> of the Year, Ted DiBiase. And the last category, which I think we can all agree with, best head, co winners, <laughs> Mean Gene Oakland and Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> See, that's that's really fun with it. That's brilliant. That is lovely. That is classic stuff. So after the uh, Santa's Little Helper match, we needed something to break up the match and then the post-match, I suppose. We get uh, the great Kali comes to the ring with Ranjin Singh. And Ranjin Singh announces that it's time for Kali's Christmas kiss camp. Uh, it, it should also bear note in that by by this point, Mickey James, Maria Kelly Kelly and Michelle McCall are the only ones left in the ring. They are the winners. The camera lands on Michelle McCall, but she flees from the ring, refusing to kiss the great Kylie. So we have the three remaining women in the ring, which are Mickey James, Maria and Kelly Kelly. They all don't seem to be particularly eager to also engage in the kiss. So Ranjin Singh brings out his backup plan. And for the uh, second time in the last three weeks, Mae Young arrives on the scene. Mae Young says something. <laughs> I don't know what it was. <laughs> and then and then kisses Carly by jumping onto him. And that's the Carly kiss cam for Christmas or whatever it was called. As the other ladies in the ring are all very happy that they don't have to engage in this. You know what uh, the great Carly did, didn't you? Before, before this, he made the Punjabi pucker famous. Is what one of the commentators says. I don't want to see his pucker. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, 
So this was absolutely horrendous until May Young comes out. <laughs> and then it that's when they veers back into trying to not be an enormous man trying to kiss some unwilling women, which mm-hmm. is what it was. And I was a little bit like, oh, um, Ranjit Singh's sideburns are fantastic, like absolutely incredible stuff. Like he comes straight from the 70s. What a pop for May Young. What a pop. <laughs> like unbelievable because everyone knows. And when that music hits, the or whatever it is. Oh, beautiful stuff. And then I thought, we watched Carly not long ago. Oh, that was a full 18 months before this <laughs> was when he was being sold as a monster mm-hmm. and then being beaten by Cena in three pay-per-views in a row. Ah, oh, great Carly. Odd, odd thing, great. But <laughs> can't argue with it, can you? Well, I feel I do feel a bit bad for him, though, because effectively what they are doing here is they're saying, look, this guy's really ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's even that's a little bit unsavory. So, but he does get to get off with Mae Young. So, who's the real winner? And, <laughs> and the good thing is, and the good thing is, he clearly has got no idea what's going on. And neither does Mae Young. So it's a match made in heaven. So much like Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> it's sexier than that. I'll tell you that much. So we then get the pre-match video for Cena and Jericho's feud we see footage of Cena beating Jericho at Survivor Series to win the World Heavyweight Championship and then some exchanges between the two there's a good promo by Chris Jericho about John Cena and the hypocrisy of John Cena which I thought was quite good uh, and uh, yeah that's ahead of the next match I thought it was decent enough not bad probably the best one so far I couldn't really think why they're having a match if I'm being honest it didn't it didn't really I don't know I, maybe I just can't remember it particularly well, but it didn't leave much of an impression on me. I didn't, I didn't think to myself, this is a this is a white hot feud that we're coming into. It's just Chris Jericho is a bit of a dick, seen as a champion, and sometimes that is all you need. But I feel like they could probably do more to get you invested in this. Cena comes back, doesn't he, at Survivor Series and beats him, and Jericho doesn't like it. And the problem is, we're very much in Super Cena territory at, the, at this stage in mm. his career, aren't we? Where he just doesn't ever lose and beats everyone cleanly spoilers um and yeah and it's just the you know i guess obviously looking back on it but i'm pretty sure at the time i would have felt exactly the same way but well there's no point there's no point in really getting myself invested in this because i know jericho is not going to win yeah so this was obviously the rematch for the title because jericho had been champion and Cena had come back and beaten jericho for the championship so this was a rematch and as i said i think that they did quite a good thing with um jericho it's gotten a promo on cena and it's annoying because i haven't written exactly how he explained that Cena was a hypocrite but when he was talking I actually did quite buy into it I thought it was mm. quite cleverly done um as I said I can't I can't remember what it was now so you're gonna have you just gonna have to trust me that it was all right <laughs> um <laughs> so the match itself John Cena versus Chris Cherigo for the world heavyweight title it is only just under 13 minutes in length and it ends when Cena goes for the STF Jericho then manages to re- reverse it and locked on the walls of Jericho but Cena counters and makes Jericho submit with the STF oh man thoughts on the match so we got Michael Cole and the King on commentary I want to add that in because uh, I made a point of noting down on the commentators so JR and Taz are literally just there for the main event they've had to sit there this whole time <laughs> just waiting for the main event I know they did a little like chat about the old, uh, the old text vote and all that but I thought oh bloody heck Hang on, they were also there for the Santa's Little Helper match. Yeah, well, I think both of them probably <laughs> wish they weren't. Um, great heat on Jericho. 
Like when he comes down, they have that little pause, which they don't do enough for the heel. He's just scowling at the crowd after he does his entrance before Cena's music hits. Lovely stuff. And he looks like such a cunt as well. He looks like such a prick with this short hair. I know that's what he's going for, so fair fucks to him. Um, in terms of the match, there's a nice springboard where like, he does his little drop kick to the outside and Cena catches him in the FU position, which I thought was lovely. Don't do anything with it. Actually gets bulldogged off the side, which is a bit sad for Cena. But unfortunately, this is classic no-sell Cena. This is classic stuff where he takes a beating, Hogan-esque, and then does something and then does all his moves and then they go back and forth for a little bit and then it finishes. It's not bad, to be fair. It's just not particularly good. It's adequate, if we can bring back our favourite word. So up until Cena's comeback, I actually thought this was all right as well. But after that, it just feels so rushed. They're like trying to get to the end. They're like, come on, we got to get to the end. I need a shit. So one of them's just had to call an audible and go, look, I'm going to cost off these pants if I'm not careful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jericho has Cena in the old walls of Jericho. Well, this one's definitely a Boston crab. He has him in there for uh, about a minute or so. Cena's not giving up. He's, he's a good man, that Cena. Powers out of it. Gets old Jericho in the STF. Poor old Jericho. Three seconds later, he's tapping like a government mule in what is described by, I think it's Michael Cole, says it was a real blue-collar effort by <laughs> Cena. Yeah. And it was like, there's nothing blue-collar about Cena. Look how rich he is. A new pair of jorts every night. Yeah. I was going to say, is it because he wears jeans? That's why. He, that's the only thing about him that might be slightly blue-collar. I wonder if it was because you've obviously got the Shawn Michaels thing as well. Whether they're trying to rein it in and just be like, look, they're not all multi-millionaires. And they're, like, look, they're still relatable, even with the financial crisis going on. Now, we know that that poor lad who was sat by the limo probably spent $70 on those tickets. But hey, still the working crew. I, I actually think there's something in that, old man. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever mm. if that was Vince's edict at the time. He's like, you know, everyone everyone suffered financially. Not me, obviously, but everyone else has <laughs> suffered financially. Let's just pretend that we're still, you know, we're on their side because we also have been affected yeah. by this, the stock market crash and whatever else that happened at the time. Hey, look, look, look at John Cena. He's relatable. He wears jeans, for God's <laughs> sake. And um, he likes rap. This, yeah, and he, and he does his own great rapping as well. Incredibly relatable. This match was fine. It, it was like you said, old man, to use use the, the our buzzword of being adequate. These we've seen so many matches with these two in now that you know exactly how this match is going to go. The one thing I will say is that bulldog that Jericho it's kind of like a bulldog, but Jericho hits it from like the ring apron onto the steel steps. Looks particularly good, and the 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 beginning is pretty pretty intense. Um, but you know exactly what you're going to get, and and John Cena's offense is so unbelievable as well. Like we talked about, I talked about Matt Hardy at the beginning, but John Cena just doesn't look awful at all. There's quite a nice exchange, which I believe you actually already mentioned, between um from an an FU as it was called at the time into a code breaker, which is quite a nice little little um exchange. And also, what I will say is that John Cena wins with that STF that doesn't look absolutely dreadful. It doesn't look good, but it doesn't look absolutely dreadful like it usually does. All in all, I thought this was fine. Not something I'm going to rush back to, but it basically it matched my expectations of what it was, of what it was going to be. I thought this was pretty good. I quite enjoyed this one. I was thinking about when you said about Cena and his offense. I think it's just got to the point where now I don't notice it 
Like mm. it's just it's been that way for so long, and we've known about it for so long that I just don't even I don't even think about it when I'm watching his matches anymore. And as a consequence, I was able to just enjoy what they did, and I thought they did do quite well. And I think that partially that was because Jericho had done such great work in terms of making people hate him and really like not enjoy him as a as a babyface wanting to boo him. I thought that worked. It worked really well. Like in the pre in the pre match video. Jericho was wearing his suit that he wore at the time and the suit is rubbish as well it doesn't it's ill-fitting it doesn't it mm. doesn't it's even that isn't cool I just think he did a great job of honing in on everything he could that would make sure that people wouldn't cheer for him during this run mm. and so I think it was just such a successful time and I'm and this is me talking about Chris Jericho somebody who's yeah. not you know overly convinced on everything he's ever done so you know I have to give him credit for it and as such when they went into the match there was real heat on this. Cena was really over as a baby face. There were a smattering of boos, as there always were. But here, Cena was almost entirely the baby face and Jericho was almost entirely the heel. And that just didn't really happen very often during Cena's years on top. And I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good match, really good pace, really good heat. The end, I thought, I do agree with you. I didn't like Jericho tapping out to the STF within three seconds. If that had lasted a bit longer and they'd have ramped up the tension a bit and even Jericho maybe escaped once and then almost yeah. and then maybe seen it locking it back on and then him tapping out, I would have that would have been the cherry on top. From But for me, a really quite enjoyable contest. I really did think it was good. And I like the fact that it wasn't too long. You know, I think you know, you're right. There's no chance John Cena is losing, losing this match for a number of reasons. First of all, he's just returned and won the title. But also we're going into WrestleMania season of the two of these wrestlers. You know who's going to be involved in a big match at WrestleMania and it's going to be Chris Jericho. So. Again, for me, keeping it short just meant that you didn't have to suspend your disbelief for too long. They just kind of got to the point and we had a we had a kind of another fun, fun outing here. So next up, we get the results of the text vote. Oh, it was fun. So I didn't catch all the percentages. I couldn't write them down in time. What I will say is Edge got 65 percent of the vote. Triple yeah. H got seven percent of the vote. Didn't see Kozlov's percentage or others' percentage, but I believe others was the second highest after Edge. It was. Others was 23%. So wow. Kozlov got 5%, I think. Wow. That's that was maths. Ma- maths is exciting for our <laughs> listeners, I'm sure. <laughs> then we get the video package hyping the main event. Uh, we go back to Survivor Series, where, Har- where Hardy is taken out of the WWE title match after being attacked before the main event then triple h and vladimir kozlov having a one-on-one match but then the match being interrupted and edge being added to it midway through it then shows edge pinning triple h to win the wwe title and then everyone fighting each other over the course of the next few weeks as they built up to armageddon so i had a question which gets answered in the main event but i really was like what about kozlov (laughs) why has he been left behind felt a bit bad for him in his pants so Triple H would have been the previous champion. Mm. So he, this was his rematch, I guess. And Jeff mm. Hardy had not been able to take part in that previous match. So that was his yeah. ticket to it. And that's why Kozlov wasn't involved, I, I, I suppose. They, they could have had a four-pack, or whatever it's called. A fatal four-way. Four-pack. Yeah. <laughs> they could have had a couple of beers, couldn't they, and settled their differences? <laughs> they could have had a four, fatal four-way, but then Kozlov would have been involved in the match, and that would have been a shame. Oh. <laughs> The match itself is 17, just over 17 minutes for the WWE title. There is a sign in the crowd, Triple H Warrior, WrestleMania 25. (laughs) And and another one, 
the rated R stupid star. Yes. The, the match ends when after Triple H hits a pedigree, Jeff then hits a swanton bomb on Edge and Triple H falls out of the way as he does it. And Ed, and then Jeff Hardy pins Edge to take the victory. Oh, man, what were your thoughts? So we got Jeff Hardy. Not only is he the charismatic enigma, the extreme enigma mm. and the strange enigma. So we get all three in this match, which I very much enjoyed. This is pretty standard fare for the most part in terms of triple threat matches, because you obviously uh, you need to get the old one on ones going. There is a tremendous spear spot through the announce tables, which is done tremendously. So Triple H is just about to pedigree Jeff Harvey, Hardy, throw it. And then Jeff pushes him away. He's like, no, no, I'm going to twist a fake you because it won't hurt on the table. And then. Triple H kind of turns around and Edge is just about to run at him, just jumps off the table. Lovely old job. Just thought it was really good because he was saving himself. Almost killed poor Jeff Hardy. And then old Kozlov and Matt Hardy come down after a couple of them, a few more minutes of pretty standard stuff. And then it kind of kicks into gear. Then they kick out the pace a little bit, start hitting finishes. And it's kind of done then. But it's a great end because old Jeff wins. Big old Jeff. And it's just nice. But without that, I did think when it finished, I was like, that's nice that he's won. I enjoyed that. I did think if either of the other guys had won, this would have probably been pretty low on the triple threat scale. On Crust's triple threatometer, (laughs) this would have been on the lower end, I think. But because we get the happy ending, a bit like old Finners earlier, and Hornswoggle gets a a little bump. Lovely old job. Amazing. Val Venus has built himself up to a second go. Yeah, bloody ass. Well, I'm third or fourth, mate. <laughs> Tom, like what old man said, I, I this this is a decent match. Um, made great by the the ending, the 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 winner. Um, we've kind of said this before. I think you you may have even said it on the um uh, not last week's episode, the week before, the one that I missed. We say WWE so often get it wrong and don't have the right person win the match, and they, they do in this one. Similar to like how Bailey had to win against Sasha Banks it, that, in that amazing match they had mm. in Brooklyn to uh, take over to. Um, it's the same with this one. Jeff Hardy has to win this match. They do quite a lot of, in the first couple of few minutes to really shine up um, Jeff Hardy. And I think about 15 times during the match, JR says that he's got unorthodox offense, which uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed that. Um, there's also a really good uh, spot that I quite like today, which is like I've called it the Whisper in the Wind Doomsday Device mm. spot, where I think yeah. um, Triple H has got Edge up on his shoulders, and then Jeff Harvey Hardy hits the uh, hits the Whisper in the Wind, which is great. And at this point, I was like, you know what, Triple H must have bloody when he realised that they could do triple threat matches, he must <laughs> have absolutely been like, do you know what, I'm loving this, so I could be in the main event every time and never take the L. Um, yeah. I thought the Kozlov and uh, Matt Harvey Hardy uh, bits were quite good as well, just because it kind of tied into the beginning. But one thing I did find, like, one thing I find about these these kind of matches, and, and I find them with like elimination chamber matches and any multi man matches, there's so many nonsensical moments in them, including why wouldn't Jeff let hit let Edge hit the concerto on Triple H? He breaks it up, and it, it's not even as if like the commentary team were like, oh what. Well, Jeff knows how much of a brutal move and how much of a career-ending move this is. He's had a rare moment of humanity or compassion. It stops someone from doing a really brutal move on another person that he could then benefit from, which is exactly how he wins as well. Um, by the fact that obviously, you know, he hits a swanton bomb on 
on uh, on 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 Matey Boy and pins him after he's been pedigreed. Mm. Um, but yeah, the the reaction from the crowd is is great, and it feels like a real moment when he wins as well. It really does, and I really like the fact that all the commentators shut up for a moment. And I really like the fact that all the other wrestlers fuck off as well. But for the tall man said, if it was any of the other guys who won it, it wouldn't be very good. So it's all kind of tied up in the result, which was which was the right result, and it meant that I enjoyed this match. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think the I think the victory for Jeff Hardy definitely does elevate the match overall because the the end the the reaction to it is emotional. It's it's organic. It feels real. You feel like you know the crowd do actually pop. Rather than just go, yay! They kind of, they, they kind of do come out of their seats and people jump up and down. There's like a genuine delight that he's won. But I actually think it's a really good match before even the result. I think that this, they do something quite clever, which is early on. Edge goes for a spear on Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy leapfrogs over it and he hits Triple H. And it, because it's quite a an out of nowhere move, i.e., you could probably hit it at any point. It allows them to go almost within the first few minutes straight into the big moves. So within that moment, already we've seen the first finisher type move. And then we see loads of other finishers and signature spots. And we see the, as you said, the spear through the table when Triple H kind of jumps out of the way and Edge spears Jeff Hardy. So it almost kind of instantly goes there and stays at that level for the whole match. And as such, it's, it's actually, I found it really quite exciting and really enjoyable. So I thought this was really good. They also then have obviously Kozlov and Matt Hardy get involved. So that kind of keeps things going a little bit as well. It's not too much. They kind of get involved five or six minutes before the end. So it's not too cluttered when we get to the finish. Yeah, I just really liked it. I just thought it was a really well done match, really well thought out from the get go to kind of instantly get us into the big move territory. And then when we get there and the final result comes, it's, you know, it is a really that that organic kind of rush of, you know, excitement and joy that everyone gets when they when they pop. So really like this match, really think it's a really good main event. Obviously, you're absolutely right about Triple H. He must have been delighted when he realized they could just do triple threat matches forever, because not only does it mean he could be in the main events, but it also means he could win the titles and then never have to actually lose them. He could he could always yeah. just get pinned. Someone else could get pinned and he would never have to take the pinfall. Uh, and that's kind of what happens here. I know that in fairness, he did get pinned at the Survivor Series match by Edge. But that was more because they were trying to keep Kozlov undefeated. For what purpose? I'll never know. Because obviously he yeah. didn't even get involved in a main match at WrestleMania that year, which is maybe that was the plan for The Undertaker. Can you believe that? Yeah. Probably what it was. <laughs> Ah, sure, it wouldn't it wouldn't it really wouldn't surprise me who's been pushed so hard yeah. at this point no I, I think that might be a, a very good chance that that was what they were going to do so yeah and what do we think jeff hardy obviously this was kind of his crowning moment he won the world title he had been throughout like this year and into the next year one of the most popular guys in all of professional wrestling quite frankly probably as big a baby face as there was other than perhaps john cena and this was the sort of moment he became he became champion. Didn't last long because he would lose the belt at the Rumble to Edge with the help of Matt Hardy. I just thought we might spend a little bit of time talking about, first of all, Jeff Hardy's kind of ascent to the top and the fact that at this point, I said he was one of the biggest stars in the business. And secondly, obviously, WWE's choice then to have him feud with Matt Hardy rather than what they had originally intended, intended which was supposed supposedly Christian, who was due to come back to the company, having been in TNA for the previous few years. It's not one of those things where he kind of like, like fucked it up again. He's got a history of 
you know, substance abuse issues, obviously got some mental health problems and some stuff. Or did he, did they just not feel it? They wanted to give him that moment and then kind of end it. I, I don't know. Cause he's, despite the fact that he's quite synonymous with WWE, you, you could almost say he's had quite a nomadic career has Jeff Hardy. So I don't know if he, yeah, I don't know why why he kind of what ended up happening with him. I don't remember what happened with his title reign. Who did he lose it to? Did you say just then? So he lost it to Edge at the Rumble when Matt Hardy turned on him ahead of so they, yeah. they then built into the WrestleMania match. In fairness, Hardy did win the world title back the following year, and he had the summer feud with CM Punk, which I think headlined some a SummerSlam the, mm-hmm. the, 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 that that year. But that was kind of his last match, I think, because he was like a loser leaves town or something like that kind of match. Yeah. Um, and then he then he turned up in TNA the following January because he'd actually his contract to run out with WWE. So you're right, he kind of is quite nomadic, but I don't know. I mean, probably there was probably some element to it, which is where he was messing up a bit in terms of I think there was an accumulation of injuries as well, which didn't help things. But I guess what they were the reason they kind of moved Jeff Hardy almost a sideways move to a few with Matt was that they wanted to get him out of the main matches ahead of WrestleMania, which, again, I think was a mistake because a Jeff Hardy Undertaker match, if they were planning for Undertaker versus Vladimir Kozlov at one point, I'd have been up for a Jeff Hardy Undertaker match. I think that would have been quite interesting. So there are other ways they could have gone with him. Yeah, he's a funny one, old Jeff, because I um I never really bought him as a main eventer. I didn't buy Mysterio either, and I think they're quite similar. Because I, I think a bit to Tommy's point with Matt Hardy earlier, I don't think his stuff looks like it hurts enough that he could beat guys bigger than him. And I think that's probably where WWE got to, I think. And also, I'd imagine they were... Apparently, he had to go off and have a neck operation. He had two herniated discs in his lower back and he was suffering with restless leg syndrome, which is absolutely horrible. And it's caused by like pinched nerves and stuff like that. But it just seemed like they'd, I think they waited too long with him. I think for me anyway, because I can remember, like this is the first time I can remember that I had seen this. Like they had the run of matches where he was almost winning and he almost beat Triple H and someone else, I think, in a triple threat match. And Triple H shakes his hand and does the little, you were that close, kid. You were that close. And that, for me, that was when it should have been done. I can't remember the event that that's at, but that's when it should have happened. And after that, I lost interest. And it's only the fact that I, I've seen him on some stuff, and I think he seems like quite a nice guy, that I was happy at the end of this pay-per-view. And I could see why people were. But, yeah, never really bought it. I think that's probably why it didn't really go anywhere. And also, I think, like... Tommy alluded to his substance issues definitely won't have helped along the way either. But I do have a quick note on Kozlov. Oh, there was something in my head when you were saying about WrestleMania. I was like, yeah. So he, his first loss was March the 2nd, 2009. He was defeated by Shawn Michaels and the match was for the opportunity to face the Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. Right. He then got his WrestleMania match about a week and a half later on SmackDown, which he lost. Also, yeah, I d- they just seem to. This is one of the ones, the more recent ones, where they'd moved everything around in the final few months of the WrestleMania mm. games. So usually, what happens is you get to December, and the the quote unquote dirt sheets or the wrestling press or whatever start to talk about here's the planned lineup. And to be honest, in the last ten years or so, nearly every time they're right, they've got it bang on. They know mm. exactly what's happened. They know what's coming up, and they they you you've seen the lineup and. Yeah, you know, not maybe not the whole lineup, but the the main three or four matches you usually know 
by the end of December, early January. But this, in this case, JBL versus um, Shawn Michaels is supposed to happen. Presumably, The Undertaker was going to be facing Vladimir Kozlov, unbelievably. But that presumably what was what was going to happen. And we know that Jeff Hardy, they changed all the plans for Jeff Hardy and Christian was supposed to be the match that Jeff Hardy was going into. And the rumour was that it was because the, it, it got leaked beforehand that people knew that Christian was yeah. coming back. And... They then switched it all, and yeah, it was a bit odd. I remember that, and I can also remember, now that I think of it, the dread on thinking that it was going to be Shawn Michaels versus JBL, and the relief that about like the month before, because I think they, I think the blow-off matches at No Way Out, yeah, it is, yeah. which I think is in February or, or March of this year. So I remember the, the relief when that happened, and thinking, oh god, thank Christ, we're not having to sit through that. We're just going to back to Jeff Hardy. Like I just think that at this point he was one of the biggest stars in in the business i think he was the following year as well when he feud with cm punk there aren't many people who they entrust with the SummerSlam main event and i think that they i seem to remember the 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 talk of the time was that they wanted to him to stick around but he obviously for whatever reason maybe because of the injuries as well wasn't eager to be on the road and obviously tna offered him the opportunity to just do really the television once a week which he was much more interested in at the time but it's a shame because he really did feel like he could have been quite important for them going forward and he would have had some big matches but i do think he was damaged somewhat by the the sideways move into a feud with matt and i don't think it makes sense because if you look at the main event here Matt Hardy comes out and kind of helps, like, to get rid of Vladimir Kozlov. Now, I don't know he didn't directly just help Jeff Hardy, but his allegiance isn't to anybody else, even after he turns on Jeff. It's just he doesn't want Jeff to win, so it doesn't make sense that he would come out and stop Kozlov. So I feel partially, like, it also, I just don't like the fact that it didn't really make sense in the end, but, you know, that's well, that's where they went. It's a little thing, because I thought that. I was like, why is Matt coming down? But I noticed that he kind of lets... Kozlov pushed Jeff Hardy off the top rope, which I yeah, thought was like, oh, that's a nice little <laughs> thing, knowing obviously what you now know. Mm. But at the time, it wouldn't have made any sense. So, all right, let's um, talk about the show overall. Our thoughts are rating out of 10, MVP, match of the night, etc., etc. Tom, let's start with you. Um, So, overall, I'm going to give this a six. I thought it was deep, pretty decent. Um, There was a lot of filler in between the matches, but none of the matches, like, apart from the, the Divas match, which I didn't particularly enjoy, none of the matches... I hated. Um, a couple of some were definitely better than the others. The match of the night I am going to give to. I'm going to give it to Punk and Mysterio. And in terms of MVP, it's a little bit of a tricky one because I didn't think that anyone particularly stood out. Obviously, you could give it to um, Jeff Hardy for that moment at the end. What I am the person I'm going to give it to, and it's a little bit of a culmination. I'm going to assume it's the same person on everyone, but the poor fucker that's got to sit there and record the behind the scenes non-interview segments. So the guy who had to film that dreadful segment between acted segment between Chavo and Vicky Guerrero and Edge. <laughs> is that the only non-interview segment as well? So is it just that one? He's getting. The well, MVP there's obviously there's the one with the divas doing the decorating and stuff like that, which would have been yeah, a bit of course. more fun. But there's not that much acting going on in that one. That's more of a mm. skit. Whereas that one is played as like a serious acted scene. I like it. It's always good to give the people behind the scenes a shout out, isn't it? They're the unsung heroes. <laughs> They are. Was a little John Cena salute for them there. In terms of me, the match of the night is quite tough, to be honest, because I think there's probably four on about the same level. You've got the two main events, the Mysterio, Punk, and Batista Orton. I'm going to give it to Batista Orton, because I th- I definitely enjoyed it more than New Boys, but I it was the match that I enjoyed the most on the card, I think. And in terms of MVP, 
I'm going to give it to Festus for the Christmas scene because he is fan-fucking-tastic. Ah, great stuff. And in terms of a rating, I'm going to have to give this a seven, I think. I think this deserves the same rating as I gave the NWA a few weeks back. I was never bored during this. I was a bit frustrated with some of the commentary, but I was not bored once. So, yeah, well, well done, WWE. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought this was a really good show, actually. I thought that the CM Punk versus Rey Mysterio match was really good. I thought the Chris Jericho John Cena match was really good. I really enjoyed the Finley Mark Henry match. I thought it was just a breeze. And I also, despite not actually enjoying it at all myself, could see that Orton and Batista had a good match. It is one of those where I just can't explain it. I just was not at all up for it and just didn't want to like it. And I, I kind of as I, watched it, as I watched it, I was like, I, I was falling asleep a bit and I was like, oh, I just don't care about these two people. But they are having a good match. I could see that they would what they were doing was quite good. But my match tonight is the main event. I thought the main event was cracking. And my my MVP is Jeff Hardy, because of all nights, this has got to be his night, his biggest night of his career, I would suggest, or one of the big nights of his career. Certainly one of the moments of his career in terms of winning mm. the big one for the first time in his, his career. And, and it looked like it meant something to him. It really did look like it meant a lot for him to finally reach that level. And his kind of the he obviously was he spent a long time walking around the ring and celebrating and whatnot. But the final kind of bit of the pay-per-view is him stood on the stage up in this massive kind of almost like castle type thing and he's just up there and it looks really cool so yeah i really liked it and i loved the fact that wwe didn't there's no swerves there was no turns there was no twists it was here you go here's your happy baby face victory at the end of the show to sign off with and to sign the year off with as well so i thought yeah i thought he deserves a lot of credit for getting there and my rating out of 10 a seven as well I'm, i'm giving it a seven as well so not a bad, not a bad show. A decent average yeah. rating for that one. Yeah. So time for the game, and uh, I wonder if Tom's remembered. No, I didn't realise I had the game this week because I was obviously off last week. However, I do have one in the bank. So uh, uh, the old bank. Yeah, here we go, lads. So if I can hold on to your bollocks because this is a bit of a, a bit of a monster. So there have been seventy people. There are tag teams in here, and I will include the tag team if need be, who have been involved in the Wrestling Observer's Matter of the Year since between the years of 1980 to 2020. I would like you to tell me who those people are. <laughs> who do you want to go first, uh, Tom? Uh, I'll go with uh, Old Man first. Mr. Taker, first name under. Yep, that is correct. Um, Brett Hart. Uh, Bret Hart, correct. Bret Hart. Mm. Uh, Sean Michaels. Correct. He is in there. I'm, I'm really, I don't know if I'd be very good at this, to be honest. Ricky Steamboat. Correct. I think he's in there quite a few times, actually. The fraud. <laughs> this is a Wrestling Observer, isn't it? Yes. Uh, okay, cool. That's all right. I, I was actually thinking of the PWI one, mm. and that would be harder because, again, it's a kayfabe list, so it wouldn't be quite mm. as... Okay, I'll go Randall Savage. Yep. Hmm. Steve Austin. Yes. Oh my God, thank you for that. I was up, he's not on it, but it's under Stone Cold Steve Austin. So there <laughs> we go. Uh, Kenny Omega. Uh, Kenwood Omega. Yep, there he is. Uh, Kazuchika Okada. Oh, fuck me, right, there we go. Yep, got him. It's not how I expected it to be swapped, but yes, that is him. AJ Styles. Adj Styles. 
isn't there? Big edge cut there. Do you know, I always find I always find whenever I look at Big E's Twitter handle, it's WWE at WWE Big E, and I always read it as at WWE Bite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Ric Flair. Ric Flair, he's in there. Oh, the Nature Boy, you know, Space Mountain Lad. <laughs> Remember, old man. Oh, he's definitely not in there. He can be, can he? I'm going to have to go for it, aren't I? He can be terror. <laughs> he is in there. <laughs> oh. That's unbelievable. He was in He was in the uh, the uh, the first ever match of the year against someone else. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <close>. Almost. <laughs> I was like, come on, give me the answer. Um, okay. Uh, Kenta Kabashi. Yeah, you know he's in there, my boy. Hmm. Shinsuke Nakamura. Yes, he is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This is gonna be a wild guess, but I don't think that was while he was in WWE. Whilst he's been in WWE. <laughs> Brian Danielson. Yep, Brian Danielson's in there. John Cena. Daniel Bryan isn't though, strangely. So, that's yeah. uh, John Cena, you said he is there. Mm. Remarkable, really. If you, I mean, he has had some very good matches, but looking, looking at some of the other lads on this list, you're like, yeah, he, he kind of sticks out. CM Punk. Yes, there he is, Chicago's own CM Punk. Ted DiBiase. No. Uh, not, I don't think so. So, Tinky gets one. He gets one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for Hiroshi Tanahashi. Oh, look at that. He's going out, he's going out with, with a, with a, uh, with a flare, isn't he? Not a Rick Flair. He may, he may as well have just walked over to me, <laughs> just got his bollocks out, slapped him in my face, and then go, there you go, mate. <laughs> so I had a couple of guesses that I didn't think were correct that I think I should have gone with. I had Cactus Jack. No. Triple H. Uh, nope. Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe. Senior Joe was on there. Uh, Jericho. Uh, I don't think so. Two seconds. Yes, he is on there. Yeah, I thought he might be. I'm trying to think who uh, would be against. That's the interesting. I think is the match he has with Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Kevin Owens. Uh, no. Uh, Lesnar? No, he's not on there. Brock? Uh, and I put Roman Reigns? No. How about Jim Duggan? No, <laughs> criminally not. Um, so, what are you I think, so I was going to go for Mitsuharu Misawa. Uh, Mitsuharu Misawa, yep. Uh, I was going to go for Great Muta or KG Muto. Same person. Great Muto is not on there. KG? M- K- yeah, 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 he's on there. And then I was going to go for. So did we say we didn't say Kurt Angle? Nope. No. For Kangle. Uh, and I had Dusty Rhodes. Uh, no, Dusty Rhodes oh. isn't on there. And then Antonio Inoki. Uh, no, he's not on there either. And then Bob Backlund, Greg Valentine, and Bruno Sammartino. Yeah, so Bobby's on there. Uh, who, who else did you say there, mate? Greg Valentine. Nope. And Bruno Sammartino. No. So the names that you missed, that was a very good show, though, lads. Consider there's a lot of people. Mm. I'm going to absolutely butcher some pronunciations here. So uh, <laughs> first one is got is a real difficult one to say. Adam Page. Then we got Atlantis, Barry Windham, Chris Benoit, someone called Sima, Sima, Chima, C I M A. Yeah. Um, someone called Dan Crawford, who I've never that, heard of. That is either Phil Lafon or Doug Furness. Don't know which one. Okay, well, he's not Doug Furness, because Doug Furness is on the list, so it must be the other one. Uh, Don mm. Canodal. Yeah, we Don saw Cornhole. him. 
Sean and Stark. Oh, the Cornhole Brothers. Oh. In the match of the year, with teaming with Sergeant Slaughter against Ricky Steamboat and Chief J Youngblood. Um, Dragon Kid, Dynamite Kansai, Dynamite Kid, Edge, Jenny Chiro Tenru. Jenny Chiro Tenru, yeah. We've seen uh, him a couple of times on this uh, yeah. podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, Genki Horiguchi or Genki yeah. Horiguchi. Yeah. Uh, Hiroshi, uh, Hiroshi Hase. Yeah. Hiroshi Hase. In, oh, amazing. <laughs> that always reminds me of that amazing Brett promo. Brett Hart promo. We're going to meet you in the Calgary Saddledome in your Hase. In your house. <laughs> he was just uh, talking about Hiroshi Hase. Ha- yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Johnny Ace, Jun Akiyama, Jushin Thunder Liger, Kenzuki Sasaki, Kota Ibushi, Kuniaki Kobayashi, Kyoto Inoue, uh, Manami Toyota, Masato Yoshino. Fuck me, boys. This is. I'll be honest, this is, you know, this is becoming a bit of a mouthful now. Mayumi Ozaki, Minoru Suzuki, uh, Naoki Sano, Naruki Doi, Pat Patterson, Razor Ramon, Rey Mysterio, Rio Saito, Sergeant Slaughter, the Steiner Brothers, Steve Williams, Sting, Takashi Morishima, the Freebirds, the Von Eriks, the Young Bucks, Tiger Mask 2, Toshio Yamada, Toshoishi, Kichikui. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I, I have no idea you're even trying to say there. That's how, that's how weird that one is. Shoyoshi Kikuchi, uh, Villano Three, and Will Osprey. <laughs> that last one was a real tester. I could tell. It was. That was really. I tell you, boys, that was hard going for all these all these Japanese yeah. names. Well done, lad. You did pretty well, we actually. You did pretty well in the whole. There was quite a few difficult ones. There were quite a few uh, female wrestlers as well in there that you uh, pronounced perfectly. Did oh, you really? Well. Mm. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, that's that. Well done. Well done, Tinky. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Oh, well, where's my mic done? Oh, you did, you did well as well, old man. But he, he won. Oh, so, you know, yeah, I was going to say, you lost. You, you lost. You didn't get it well done. <laughs> uh-huh. But it's, it's the taking part that counts. Fuck off. Incidentally, right. um, incidentally sorry, uh, there are only two matches that won match of the year back to back. The same the same combatants. It's gotta be um, Michael's Undertaker, isn't it? Yep, and there was another match as well. Um, and I'll and I will I'll be honest, boys, I'll give you the money myself if you can get it. There was a match, so I don't I'm gonna guess that Okada Tanahashi. Mm, no, a bit before that. Kenta Kabashi versus Mitsuaru Misawa. Mitsuharu well, Misawa. Well done, mate. I was just about to say that. Yeah, sorry, mate. <laughs> you fucking ruined it. Fucking yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I could have made some fictional money. All of them made sense, though. They were all kind of, quite, apart from, I'm very surprised by Don Canoodle, but obviously I miss, I, I've uh, underestimated old Cornhole 2, and uh, mm. I need to go back and watch some more stuff. But um, before I do that, I need to also give our outro for the show. So first of all, old man, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. It's been nice to get in the saddle of a nice, little comfortable show that we haven't had to absolutely eviscerate for two hours but don't you guys worry about that you just gotta remember ken patera it's good to see you patera it's good to see you're practicing what you preach as well this week seeing as you actually did remember him with quite a lot of prompting from tom in fairness oh no 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 there was no prompting i i ken patera was first on my list and you you need to use his full name which is 1980 wrestling observer match of the year award winner Ken Patera. Yeah. <laughs> and and Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. 
Uh, thank you very much. I just wanted to, um, need to make a quick correction to that because there was one person I missed out on the list. Uh, there was Tiger Mask, but there was also Tiger Mask 2. So there's Who two I Tiger Masks. I think might have been Mitsuharu Misawa, who was also winner already, I think. Well, might, there we might go. be wrong about that. I think he is, though. Yeah, and uh, thank you, our listeners, for listening to us. We've only got one more episode this year to go through. We're going to have a little break after that for a week, but we've got one more episode, uh, which will be landing on Boxing Day. But this, of course, is our last chance to say Happy Christmas before the big day itself. So wherever you are, wherever, whoever you are with, I hope you enjoy yourselves and uh, have a great festive period i also remember that we haven't chucked in any kind of a plug during the show so i'm going to do one just before we go oh, hang on hang on you chose in a butt plug earlier didn't you <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was all, it was all those happy endings i mean what do you expect <laughs> um <laughs> so give us a follow at rwr pod uk we promise not to talk about butt plugs over there uh you that makes differences all right fair enough and we can find you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram we'll be back again next week on boxing day but until then take care